This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, the USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I am your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I am joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It's Deuce Robinson Day, so no Trojan fans are excited for the announcement that five-star tight end Deuce Robinson is going to give here later this day because we are recording on a Wednesday, but the podcast actually goes up on a Thursday. So we're going to talk a lot about Deuce Robinson and talk about his pending decision. And we know uh, you guys are pumped up for that. Certainly everybody's going to be uh, watching his Instagram for the announcement. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, maybe we'll have some follow-up content uh, for a big-time commitment going to USC. A big, big-time commitment. And USC fans, we know they are starved starved for a commitment. I mean, I know they would love some more 2024 commitments, but they would absolutely take a commitment from five-star Douche Robinson for the 2023 class, the the finishing touch on the 2023 class. Now, as you mentioned, the timing is interesting. Deuce Robinson will commit later today, later today, 5.30 p.m. Pacific time on his Instagram. And now usually our podcast goes up very, very early in the wee hours of Thursday morning. But we didn't want to wait around all day, Gerard. I knew we knew USC fans were going to be anxious waiting until 5:30. There's a lot going on today. It's also opening day. I think that maybe is a wink, wink for Deuce. You know his love for baseball to commit also on opening day for Major League Baseball. So a lot of things coming together. But we didn't want to wait around all day until 5:30. We knew USC fans wanted to hear something. They want to hear our our lovely voices from the composite two star recruits. So we decided to do our normal schedule. We're going to talk a lot about Deuce Robinson here for the cold open. We're going to set the tone for the announcement. We're going to break down a little bit of his game. We're going to do a bunch of stuff looking at the tight end room. So we'll set the stage for that. And if you happen to listen to this podcast, maybe on a Friday or a Saturday, you know, Deuce has already made his decision. But nonetheless, if it's USC, you still get a lot of knowledge about USC's new tight end weapon if he does pick the Trojans. But either way, it works, Gerard, is what we're saying. Yeah, and we're not going to, you know, tape a canned reaction to a commitment that hasn't happened yet. Kind of one of those things that just doesn't feel natural. And, you know, we could do it. And we know people love reactions. Reaction videos are so big on YouTube. Hee <laughs> hee. But uh, truth be told, it's just better to uh, break this down, sort of give you guys an understanding of uh what he brings to the table potentially also acknowledging the other schools involved with him and what they bring to the table and sort of what they're offering him and the decision that he has at his feet. We've talked about Deuce Robinson almost every week on the podcast. So certainly most of you that listen to the podcast on a regular basis know all about Deuce Robinson. So we don't want to retread a bunch of ground that we've already covered. 
but nevertheless, I think we can get a little more deeper into what's happening with the football program right now. Obviously, the tight end position, as Chris said, the tight end room, what it looks like right now, what Deuce Robinson would be walking into, and getting into you know the, the sort of down-the-line impact that he could have uh, on this class and potentially the 2024 class. Absolutely. And we do have to point out, Trar, that we did try to do a emergency podcast for one certain five star very early in the show's career. It accidentally got published when it didn't need to be published. People who got to listen to that 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 uh, ill-timed episode that was like maybe 10 episodes into the composite two star recruits. If you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the Josh Connerly episode that somehow got accidentally uploaded something there was some sort of bug with uh megaphone or something i don't know it was a very stressful day for me very sad day for usc fans they thought we were trolling them no it was a bug so we decided let's not let's do away with emergency commitment podcasts unless the timing is better so we're just going to go ahead and move forward with our regularly scheduled podcast for douche robinson day that will be the cold open we're also going to talk about four-star running back taylor tatum making a visit a uh, second visit to USC, uh, four-star safety Anthony Flowers has set his commitment date. We have another. We have a top five for USC with a five-star safety. Uh, I was at the Elite 11 Regional. Me and JP, five stars only. Perez were out there. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We got a little politics and NCAA stuff like that going on. We're going to talk about that. And then we have our listener questions, which we've got a, we've got a little bit of a handful uh, for you. So, Gerard... We do have a packed show. Before we get into it, let's take a quick second to thank the official sponsor, the Composite Two Star Recruits. That is Meredith Schlosser, the top real estate agent in Los Angeles. You can learn more about her and her website at MeredithSchlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. And you can check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Gerard, cold open, douche Robinson day. Let's get into it. He will be making his decision at 5.30 p.m., Pacific time on his Instagram. It's been a very, very, very long journey in this recruitment. I'm not being, I'm not over-exaggerating on this. USC, the early leaders, USC then went to the bottom, not necessarily the bottom, but faded. Georgia was in the, the leader spot. There was some talk about Texas. Major League Baseball is still a big factor in this, but now USC has come full circle, it seems. They have the momentum Going into this decision, they have the crystal ball lead, the overwhelming crystal ball lead. Even got a couple yesterday when he announced that he was going to be making his commitment on Thursday, March 30th. So USC feels like they're sitting in a great position going into 530. We also saw Lincoln Riley tweet a fight on. So congruently, those two things certainly bode well for USC. Now we have seen things go pear-shaped for USC with such announcements in the past, you cited Josh Connerly, and there have been others. So in this day and age, you know, you sort of hold on your butts to a certain extent, but certainly we've seen USC rally a bit here in the past few months. And, uh, you know, at this time last year, it seemed like USC was in a very good position for Deuce Robinson. And by the time we get to the official visit in June, which he was a part of that golden hour visit where USC brought in two dozen uh, recruits in the third week of June, it seemed like he was USC's to lose. Uh, in fact, I was told at that point in time uh, he was a silent commitment to USC. I'd made a post actually on the message board 
and I can't remember what it was exactly, but it was something alluding to, you know, USC might be wanting to run 13 personnel in the future because on that visit, you had Walker Lyons and you had Deuce Robinson, both of whom I had sources that were very confident were going to end up at USC. And prior to that, you had Kate Eldridge commit to USC during the opening week of official visits in June. So that's three tight ends for you. And we're looking forward thinking, wow, this is going to be a very strong position for USC, considering it's a position that USC hasn't really utilized very much in previous years. Last year, they didn't utilize it very much, as we saw with uh, the first year of Lincoln Riley's offense. A A prolific offense, but not an offense that really used the tight end a whole lot. And certainly previous years under Clay Helton, the tight end position was not utilized very much. So it was exciting and interesting to see uh, the the strategy and the approach to that position and, and wanting to stock that position with good players. And then knowing that you were uh, potentially going to change the offense and, you know, maybe in the future, this sort of uh, evolves the offense a little more. And, and certainly, you know, looking forward in the 2024, 2025 classes and, and what USC recruited last year. And obviously, Deuce Robinson is a part of that class, even though we're already well into the 2024 cycle and everything we've been talking about for the most part has been 2024 recruits. And Deuce Robinson is still 2023. Uh, he's going to be on campus here in June and uh, he will be a, a part of the team next year if he commits to USC. And so you have to start to look at how this is potentially going to change the offense as a whole. And you look at those three players, you know, Walker Lyons commits to USC on signing day. He's not going to be on campus until 2024, but that's a very good tight end that's coming from Folsom four-star, a guy that we saw uh, early in the spring last year, who was uh, certainly one of the best pass catchers slash uh, physical specimens um, in that local sort of uh, 2023 class. And, And certainly, uh, one of the more impressive uh, big-bodied receivers that we had seen. And then you have Kate Eldridge there, who plays running back uh, at Linfield Christian up in Washington, and is a guy that, um, you know, I think because he plays against such small ball competition, it's really sort of hard to rank him. But, I mean, he's a man amongst boys in that league, and being a guy that's 6'4", 235 pounds, playing running back, you see where he would fit really well in that H-back position. And we've talked a little bit about that. Now you have Carson Tavarachi at that H-back position. And so you've got three tight ends coming in, potentially. You look at that combined with the offensive line uh, that they'll be able to recruit here in 2024, guys like Brandon Baker, um, you know DeAndre Carter, uh, some of these players that they're in line for, uh, in, in addition with the offensive line class that they signed in 2023. And then the running back position, and you see the physicality of the offense being there. And is this, you know, looking forward to the 2024 season where you're going to be in the Big Ten and you're going to have to play some more physical teams? They're going to want to run straight at you. Um, Sometimes you're going to be playing in weather that may not really give you uh, the ability to throw the ball a whole lot, and you're going to have to have a little bit more of a ball control offense. I, I don't know. I, you know, we'll, we'll see how that all evolves, but I can tell you, you know, in terms of the, the approach and play calling and personnel use 
Uh, USC could definitely get a lot more physical here. And the air raid sort of roots that uh, Lincoln Riley comes from, uh, he could potentially get uh, further and further away from. I mean, he's already established himself uh, as a very balanced play caller for the most part. I mean, he definitely improved, I think, the balance of his offensive scheme when he was at Oklahoma. And he saw the importance of bringing in lead blockers and developing that H-back position with shifts and motion and getting guys out on the edge, but also getting guys sort of north and south a little more than the uh, prototypical air raid had. And so now you see that uh, evolution of his offense at USC. And it's just it's interesting to see, you know, personnel wise what they're recruiting and what that could mean for the Trojans in the future. So I think Deuce Robinson, uh, again, potentially if he picks USC, is a very big part of that. So we go back to that uh, that that big June uh, golden hour and, you know, where USC was instead of, uh, you know, their 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 percentage on who they're actually getting committed uh, from that big weekend. And it can, you know, potentially goes up even more, you know, and 50%. That's pretty successful. USC is uh, probably going to be a little bit over that uh, when we look at it in hindsight. And the timing of all this is very interesting, especially when you, it coincides with USC being in spring camp right now, because on Tuesday, Lincoln Riley was literally asked about his tight end room's depth. And he like he looked around and he laughed and he said, it's not good. He, you know, he gave a laugh at that because it's not good with the with the uh, departure of Malcolm Epps in the transfer portal, the uh, quote unquote retirement of Ethan Ray from the team and then the injury to Jude Wolf, the another foot injury, which has cost him his, his spring camp has left USC bare with Lake McCree and Carbon Ta- Carson Tabarachi at that H back, you know, converted linebacker. So they only have two healthy tight ends right now. One of them play had played linebacker last year and didn't play due to injury, so shaking that rust off. So it is very thin. But he said, you know, they have Cade coming in. They will get Jude back in the summer. So good things are coming. But you had to think, you know, was he being, uh, you know, wink, wink about it? You know, if the good things are coming, Deuce Robinson is literally announcing that he's going to – make his commitment on Thursday during this Lincoln rally press conference. So it's just interesting with the timing of all of it all. And if we could just fast forward to the summer, assuming Deuce Robinson does become a Trojan, you know, you have Lake McCree and Deuce who were more uh, flexed out wide receivers. You know, that was what Lake played uh, out there in Texas. And we've seen his potential as true freshman year as being like a big time playmaker down the field. So, those are your like true quote unquote pass catchers. Then you have Carson and Cade who fit the mold for that H back role. You can play them out of the backfield. They can carry the ball as former running backs, Carson and Cade, and they can block and they can catch out of the backfield. So they fit that H back role. And then kind of Jude Wolf feels like he's a tweener between both of those flexed out and this H back role. Jude Wolf was set to play the H back role last season before that foot injury. You are concerned about the foot injury, having multiple foot injuries as a football player is never a great thing with all the cutting and pressure you have to put on it. But if he comes back healthy, ready to contribute, he's kind of a tweener between both a guy who can line up outside at six foot six, 240 pounds, and then play that H back role and be a big blocker as an inline tight end. So getting, you know, you get Deuce Robinson, you get Kate Eldridge in the summer, you get a healthy Jude Wolf. Suddenly the tight end room looks 
very, very talented and very, very good going to 2023. Yeah, it, it looks very well-rounded, you mm-hmm. know, and, and you start to see the difference between, like you said, that true tight end position, uh, that Y and the H back position, uh, which in some offenses you can call it the F, but that position where you're going to be using someone who's going to be a little bit more of your run blocker, who's going to be a little stronger in that regard. Um, you Carson Tavarachi is, is obviously, you know, is more like six, two and yeah. probably two twenty five two thirty. At this point, you probably want to get him up to that 240 range, but a guy that's quicker and and a guy that's skilled, but in different ways, because the routes that he's going to be running as a receiver are going to be a little different than the guy that you're going to split out wide or even have it as an inline tight end. Those guys are going to get a little more vertical for you. You know, they're going to be able to run more traditional type of routes, out routes, post routes, seam routes, whereas Carson and Cade are coming across the line of scrimmage and a lot of times they're going to have to redirect and they're going to end up in the flats and maybe run a Texas route. They maybe have to do some different things, which require a little more agility from that standpoint. And a lot of times you're, you're catching the ball and you're running uh, sideline to sideline and you've got to turn and run. And that's sometimes harder for a bigger body. But if you're a guy like Carson Tavarachi, who played running back predominantly in high school, he's never played H back tight end. He, he didn't really play much linebacker until he got to Utah for that spring ball, um, you know, he's a little more used to running those type of routes because he was a running back. So you're coming out of the backfield running those type of routes, wheel routes and and, and flares into the flats. So you are starting to see the definition uh, that we saw at Oklahoma in terms of using those positions and those positions really being quite different. Um, it just in terms of what you're requiring from those guys. Like I said, the H-back position, a lot of times you're bringing that guy over and he's coming across the formation and he's blocking somebody on the edge, or sometimes he might have to turn, put his foot in the ground and get upfield on a linebacker and be a lead blocker. And that's not necessarily something that you want from Lake McCree. He didn't do a bad job when he's been used at that position in the past, but you know, when you're six, four, six, five, it's a little hard, you know, with the leverage to be able to, you know, run sideways, put your foot in the ground, all of a sudden get north and south on the linebacker who might be 6'2", 240, and that guy's going to get under your pads. He's going to blow you up. So, yeah, I do think that uh, if you bring in Deuce Robinson, he's competing with Lake McCree uh, more at that uh, that traditional tight end spot. And what it also does, again, we're talking about physicality, is it gives you potentially, you know, for the first two seasons, a guy who's also just a big receiver. You know, USC doesn't have many big receivers. Brendan Rice is the only real physical receiver that they have uh, right now. Maybe you could put in uh, Kyron Hudson Ware into that conversation as well, but he's only about 6'1", 6'2", and you know, about 200, maybe a little over 200 pounds at this point. Uh, not necessarily the biggest body in the world. Uh, you have Jacoby Lane coming in, but Jacoby's you know, maybe 190. He's tall, but he's a little more of a Dwayne Jarrett type of tall. He's a slender, north and south, sort of a vertical, linear type of receiver. Whereas Deuce Robinson is, is a big body, a guy that you're going to run on routes to be able to kind of post people up. You'll run him across the middle. He's physical. He is a very good athlete. I mean, he played wildcat yeah. quarterback quite a bit uh, in high school. So he's a guy that's actually, you know, run the ball with uh, the, the ball in his hands behind the line of scrimmage. So, you know, he's got a little bit of instincts. He's got some vision. He's got some awareness. Um, he can cut. He can make things happen 
uh, instead of just, you know, being a guy that catches the ball and just falls down. So that's good also in terms of yak yardage and putting him out there and, and feeling like, okay, this is a guy that can make the defense pay if they give him a little bit of space. So it's one of those things that uh, just overall you get bigger if you're USC with, with Deuce Robinson there. And like I said, going forward, just looking at the tight end position, running 13 personnel, I mean, it, you know, it's possible to be able to do that and have quality players on the field. And that's very difficult mismatches for a lot of teams. A lot of teams are not going to be able to play against that very well. You know, we saw what Jim Harbaugh did with Stanford and, and having multiple tight ends on the field that can catch the ball and can run block. And I think one thing that really will help Deuce Robinson if he picks USC, which is maybe unique to USC, is that you've got Zach Hansen as a tight ends coach. And Zach Hansen is a former offensive line coach. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest things that Deuce Robinson is going to have to learn is run blocking, right? So he's out there. He's one of the stars of the offense. He's targeted a lot in the passing game. But run blocking is what's going to get you on the field and keep you on the field uh, as a tight end and, and even as a receiver in this offense. Any offense that has balance, they need their receivers to be able to block downfield. And that's usually the difference between an offense that can really gouge the defense and make big plays in the run game and those that can only sort of squeak out 15, maybe 20 yards on a big play. If you want to see those big 40-plus yard runs, it's because your wide receivers are maintaining their blocks downfield. And so certainly that's not something that probably Deuce Robinson has done a whole lot in high school. And, you know, he's going to have the mentorship there in the receiving game from Lincoln Riley, from Dennis Simmons, Luke Hurd's an inside receivers coach. There's all of that tutelage there. Uh, from a receiving standpoint, developing as a receiver, it's really what can you do for me as a run blocker? That's going to be the big key. And to have somebody there that was an actual offensive line coach that has clearly done a good job developing the tight end position uh, in running the ball because USC had a very good running game last year. And we've always said they were the best team in the country to reluctantly run the ball. Uh, there were times where you go, they could run, they're running the ball for seven plus yards a pop. You could continue to run the ball if you want. Um, we're going to probably see that. And again, when you're moving to the Big Ten, you know, you're playing at Michigan or Michigan State in November and it's cold and it's windy or it's rainy. And, you know, you just can't throw the ball downfield. Sometimes you're just going to have to line up and you're going to have to push the guys in front of you back. And so it's good to have these big bodies. And it's also to have these big bodies that are versatile and athletic enough that if the defense does not want to respect that at all, you, you pop them for a big play. You know, you get a play action and you just throw that ball over the top to a guy that's 6'6", 250 pounds and athletic enough to make a play in the air. So it's one of those things that, yeah, it definitely, this is this is a big deal because it can change dimensionally what USC is doing offensively. I think it's going to change anyways, again, with the offensive line class that they could sign this year, combined with the offensive line class that they signed last year. Uh, looking forward at the offensive linemen that they're going to have a decent shot at getting and the running backs that they're going to be able to sign. I just think physicality on offense is going to be able to improve quite a bit going forward. This is not going to be a, hey, we're going to put four receivers on the field all the time and we're just going to try to spread you out sort of thing. It's going to be a little bit more of a straightforward pro style offense to some extent. And maybe in certain cases, uh, you know, we're, we've got a lead and we're going to protect it. And we're just going to, you know, just straight up line up and, uh, and Mike block you and, and just, you know, do a little smash mouth football, which I know USC fans, at least some USC fans would probably look forward to. We hadn't seen that in a long time. 
shifting back a couple things on your uh, speech there before I tur- turn it back more. My to speech, the... Chris. My speech. <laughs> uh, Arizona boys, Jacoby Lane, possibly Deuce Robinson. All I'm saying is invest buy stock in the fade ball for USC in 2023 with those with those guys who can leap out of the gym. Back to Gerard, can we categorize Deuce Robinson as like a freak? Is he in freak territory in terms of his athleticism? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you got a guy 6'6", 250 pounds, and he plays on one of the better teams in Arizona against very decent competition. Arizona ball, uh, that league and that schedule that they play, see a lot of Division One players. So it's improved a lot over, I'd say, the last 10, 15 years. And so you got a guy that's playing Wildcat quarterback at 6'6", 250. That's, that's, that's definitely uh, freakish range. Now, you know, is he a, a true wide receiver that's just big? You know, because USC has seen plenty of those guys. Mike Williams, uh, we've seen uh, Patrick Turner, we've seen uh, just recently Drake London. He's not a receiver first and then just a big guy. He is, to me, more of a tight end. I mean, when I saw him uh, at the Elite 11 last year and he was just throwing the ball around with guys and just kind of eyeballing him, you see the frame. You see a, a definitely a tight end, you know, in terms of the ceiling and, and what he brings to the table physically. Um, I think initially, however, you know, he probably kind of fills some roles as a big receiver because USC doesn't really have that. But the mismatches for him are going to be more inside the box than not. Um, certainly there'll be, you know, situations where you're going to be able to find a cornerback in the slot maybe even out wide where you can take advantage of that. But that's going to be one of those things that teams adjust to, and you're going to have to try to use him inside the hashes a little more to get the bigger plays from him. I think, you know, ultimately that's the NFL uh, ceiling for him. You know, you look at him and it's like, that's an NFL tight end. You know, he's, he's, he's as big as some NFL tight ends. Yeah. He's 60, 50, 40 at this point, And he's just graduating high school. Uh, for sure. And he's a guy that, you know, we, we haven't really talked about much, plays two sports and is very big into baseball and has spent most of his off seasons playing baseball. And so in terms of an actual football uh, nutrition, strength and conditioning off season, he has yet to see that. And that could, you know, he could be, you know, 265 pounds, 270 pounds um, a couple years in. If at some point, he sees that, okay, football is my future. I'm going to invest fully in football and, you know, I'm going to really hit the weight room hard. I mean, he could be even bigger and stronger from that standpoint. Absolutely. Benny Wiley probably drooling at the, the chance to get his hands on Deuce Robinson and mold him into a even more of a beast. Let's transition back into more of the recruitment side and talking about Deuce Robinson. Simply put, Gerard, what would make Robinson Pick USC. What are the selling points for USC in the recruitment of Deuce Robinson, the number one ranked tight end in the country? Because we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording. We, we've made jokes about how sometimes you we want to look at recruitments logically, but USC has been on the losing end of some, I would call illogical picks for, for some prospects, some high-end prospects. And it feels like USC isn't, I would say, the logical pick for Robinson. If you, at least if you look at it on paper, that would actually probably be Georgia. Yeah. So 
it is interesting when we kind of look at the boxes and what school checks what boxes and certainly going head to head against Georgia, Georgia, a team that has utilized the tight end position the last couple of years better than maybe any team in the country and certainly have developed some guys that look like they're going to go high in the draft back to back national champions. Um, their recent baseball pedigree has been a bit better than USC. USC still kind of trying to rebuild in a bit of a transition uh, era, I guess you could say. And so, yeah, you know, some of the, okay, this is the most logical upfront factors that work for USC um, are not in USC's favor in this particular recruitment. And um, like you said, there's been some other ones where you look down the list and go, okay, I mean, USC's the logical choice. And then the, the kid picks another school. And so in this particular case, you know, USC not really utilizing the tight end very much, have not developed uh, a true tight end for the pros since, I don't know, gosh, what, what we have to go back to like Fred Davis, um, Jordan Cameron, Cameron Jordan, excuse me, uh, was another guy that ended up playing a bit in the NFL. Um, there's somebody else that's more recent than I'm forgetting about, but I mean, within the last five, six years, it hasn't been a whole lot of guys that they've developed. Now, granted, that was also not Lincoln Riley's offense. And Lincoln Riley's offense at Oklahoma was uh, better at getting the ball to the tight end. You had Mark Andrews, uh, Grant, um, uh, oh, I'm blanking on his last name, how to, how to pronounce it, um, out of Santa Margarita. He uh, was a big receiver and ended up going to Oklahoma, and they made him in the tight end. And he was, he was a very good player for them. Um, so, I mean, there, there, there is some, uh, you know, resume there for getting the tight end and utilizing the tight end, uh, in that offense, certainly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Georgia's, you know, if we're being honest, Georgia's definitely the school that you look at. Um, and quite frankly, every one of those schools on the list has utilized the tight end better, uh, in recent history, um, than USC has, you know, Oregon, Texas, Georgia. Uh, they all have um, done a pretty good job getting the ball to the tight end and utilizing the tight end position in their offenses. Now, certainly, I think another aspect of this, which, you, you know, Lincoln Riley has to be looking at is the fact that, OK, you, you know, teams are going to adjust what you do. They are going to adjust at, at your strengths and the four wide receivers and, and getting the ball to the wide receivers and using the wide receivers as your primary offense. Uh, there's going to be teams that are going to drop back in eight and they're going to do certain things to try to take that away. And you, you do have to evolve and you do have to sort of ping pong off your personnel, if you will, to find different ways to get the ball downfield and certainly evolving that tight end position and getting the ball more in between the hashes and not having such a lateral uh, passing game will be something that defenses are not ready to stop right now for USC. I mean, understand that right now, everybody in spring ball that has USC on the roster, they're implementing wrinkles and installing defenses and coverages that are really sort of uh, angled towards guarding outside the hash marks, you know, guarding the quick screen game, um, guarding just everything happening with the wide receiver position and keying on the wide receiver position. And so, Going forward, uh, I think just, you know, what USC does in terms of, you know, how they run the ball and being a little more straightforward, it will actually work to their advantage. And it will be a not even a wrinkle, but it will be a part of the offense that then defenses are going to have to sort of adjust to that and say, OK, well, you know what? We have to look at the tight end position now. Um, we can't dismiss it as just being, 
you know, out there and going to run block and what have you. Uh, now all of a sudden there could be a threat at that position. So, you know, from that standpoint, if you're trusting in Lincoln Riley and his ability over the years to, to be able to evolve offensively and to find new ways of, of, you know, attacking the defense, then you really, if we're talking about logic, logically, you look at the tight end position being one of the first elements of that that is not being utilized right now that could be utilized, that could be utilized to be very successful. I mean, listen, Georgia did win two national championships and their passing game kind of sort of revolves quite a bit around getting the ball to the tight end. Now, why is that? Because a lot of teams are trying to key on their run game. You know, they've had so many good running backs come out of Georgia in, in the past 10 years that, you know, teams are just, you know, practicing to be able to stop the run. Well, play action is very easy especially if you've got a quarterback that's not really a guy and they didn't really have a guy last year as a quarterback who's going to, you know, like get the ball downfield and be, you know, a big time sort of first round pick type quarterback, certainly not like a Caleb Williams level player. Where do you want to get the ball when you've got a quarterback that's just a sort of a manager, sort of a guy that, you know, does a good job, not making mistakes, but again, doesn't have the big arm, isn't necessarily going to threaten the defense downfield. Where do you want to throw the ball? You want to throw the ball right in front of him. You want to allow him to be in a pocket, square up as much as possible, and try to get the ball just little dump routes out to the flats, little in routes and, and mesh routes over the over the middle. Those are the easy throws to make. You know, the hard throws are out to the hashes because you've got to have arm strength or you're going to get that ball picked off. So, you know, that's, I think, been the adjustment of Georgia. And, uh, you know, when, when they sort of looked at their offense and they basically audited, okay, how can we improve? Well, Everybody knows we can run the ball. We've got all kinds of good running backs, uh, and they've been continuing to to recruit good running backs. We've got to be able to play off of that somehow. And I think, you know, for them it was, well, we got to get the ball more to the tight end. That's going to be the easiest place to get the ball. Yeah, the receivers might be open, but do we have a quarterback that's going to be able to make those type of passes? If we don't, we need to get the ball in the area of the field that's the easiest for a quarterback to to get the ball to. And so that's sort of what happened with their offense. and. I think with USC, they have the guy that can get the ball downfield. They have the guy that can exploit defenses uh, with the receiver position. And I think that's going to continue. But you also have some easier passes that you can make, and um, that's going to be the, the tight end. And continuing, uh, if USC can run the ball and can threaten to run the ball, I mean, you'll see defenses playing that a little more honest. And that was true of last year. You know, towards the end of the year, you actually saw some defenses play you know, seven, eight guys in the box, which, you know, there's a lot of in the beginning of the year, it was like they're playing against Graham Harrell's defense and, and they were just a lot of eight man uh, coverages and, and the, the linebackers already kind of going back into coverage at the snap and not really even paying attention to the run game. And that's part of the reason why I think, you know, we looked at some of those games. And we're like, man, USC can continue to run the ball all they want. They can run the ball at will here. And it seems like in some games they were sort of forcing the pass a little bit. I think, you know, there was obviously some pressure like, hey, you know, we want to make sure Caleb is getting his stats. We want to make sure that Jordan Addison is getting his stats, so on and so forth. And maybe going forward, there's less of that. You know, Caleb Williams won his Heisman. Caleb Williams wants to win the national championship now. You know, he even mentioned that when he was winning the Heisman during that speech. He's like, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm winning the Heisman, but all these other guys are going to the college football playoff. So, you know, that's that's going to be a, a, a big goal for him just team wise. and so. You know, maybe that also, um, instead of like maybe forcing some things offensively, uh, you you take what's there because I think there was probably instances where 
USC could have moved the ball, stayed on the field a little more, uh, just, you know, with just getting the ball to the tight end or the running back, or you're making some easier passes instead of, you know, trying to um, push the ball statistically to certain guys and try to make sure we target certain guys to keep certain guys happy. That's always sort of the trade-off when you bring in a big-time transfer is that, you know, you want to bring a big guy in and he's thinking he's one and done, just want to Blitnikoff, and then, you know, he's not getting his targets, then that becomes a little bit of an issue in the locker room. And um, we've seen that in the past, how it sort of deteriorates a little bit. So, um, yeah, I think uh, that's definitely an aspect in terms of uh, the evolution of the offense overall, being able to uh, utilize the tight end position on some just some pretty easy passes over the middle. Two more bullet points on Deuce Robinson Day as we you know preview his, his announcement for the cold open. One of them is you still have to think about Major League Baseball. I think we're going to save that one for the last point. But the other point is Dylan Rayola. Dylan Rayola transferred in from Chandler to Pinnacle, which is where Mr. Deuce Robinson goes. It's where Elijah Page early enrolled from. So USC trying to get a pinnacle pipeline going, but assuming Deuce Robinson makes his commitment to the Trojans, well, that is a high-profile player, signee, recruit that is going to be on campus at Pinnacle with Dylan Rayola, who's going to be in his ear. USC has already pushed the momentum back towards them for Dylan Rayola, getting him on campus for the start of spring camp, picked up some crystal balls. They now lead. So it's very interesting with the timing of all this and Dylan Raiola, Deuce Robinson going to be classmates, high school classmates for a little bit longer for Deuce graduates. And yeah, that's just an interesting, another interesting wrinkle for uh, the Deuce Robinson commitment, looking ahead to the 2024 class and the number one overall prospect. All good things that come to wait, wait, oh, screwed that up. All good things come to those who wait, question mark. Um, Don't worry, I'll, I'll cut that and make it better. Oh, Don't worry, I cut that. Yeah, for, just uh, for you. <laughs> I think uh, it's very interesting. We talked a little bit about this in the war room, uh, sort of two ships passing in the night. I, I will say this. Got a little tidbit from Blair and Gulo because we, we talked about um, how much contact, you know, does, does Deuce Robinson even have with Dylan Riola? Deuce, of course, graduating. He's on the back end of his senior year. Probably not on campus a whole lot. I know. You know, in my senior year, like I was only taking like three classes or what have you uh, that last semester. And so he's probably not on campus a whole bunch. But Blair did mention that he was actually there at a Chandler game last year with his dad on the sideline. And they weren't playing Pinnacle. But Deuce Robinson just happened to be there hanging out. Um, Dylan Riola and Deuce Robinson were hanging out a bit at the Polynesian Bowl. Dylan, uh, Dylan uh, Riola was there uh, as a uh, inductee and, and an invite uh, early for the game uh, this uh, next year in Hawaii. And Deuce Robinson obviously was invited to the game uh, this past year as a player. And so they hung out there as well. So there is some connection. And certainly Dylan Riola is very aware of the top players nationally. You know, he is one of those quarterbacks that's very tuned in to other top players and, you know, and, and, and keeping an eye on who's going where. Uh, we saw Jeremiah Smith commit to Ohio State. Um, thereafter, you know, Rayola had committed to Ohio State. Now Jeremiah Smith is still committed to Ohio State, but we know USC is in his ear trying to get him back on campus for an unofficial visit, the number one wide receiver uh, in the nation for the 2024 class out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. 
Um, so we'll see how all of those dominoes sort of fall into place. But certainly I would say that this would be uh, a definitely a positive development for USC. If they're able to get Deuce Robinson, I think it does play uh, positively for getting Dylan Rayola. And um, I, I mean, again, I think, you know, you talk about the evolution of the offense, Dylan Riola being more of a pro style quarterback, not necessarily a running quarterback. And, you know, we talked about this sort of ad nauseum in terms of fit. The other players that they offered in the 2024 class have really only got three scholarship offers out to the 2024 class. Dylan Riola being the first and foremost, the guy that they kind of said, hey, you're our guy. We're not going to recruit anybody else. And then, you know, they kind of got burned by that. And he turned around and commit to Ohio State. So then they had to go and sort of pivot a little bit and go after DJ Lagway out of Texas. And they were recruiting him. And then, uh, you know, I think they started to feel like uh, we're not necessarily in the lead group with DJ Lagway. And then they offered Elijah Brown out of modern day as well. And we'll talk a little bit about him because you and JP were at the uh, Elite 11 regionals uh, last weekend. So they had those three guys. And then lo and behold, DJ Lagway commits to Florida and Dylan Riola decommits from Ohio State. And, you know, you're looking at fit. And out of that group, obviously, DJ Lagway is a bit more of what USC has right now in terms of a quarterback that you can run the ball with and not run the ball with from a scrambling standpoint or an extend the play standpoint, but actually design runs for the quarterback. And that's something that Lincoln Riley has been doing for a little while now. I think, you know, he really sort of worked on it uh, when they had Jalen Hurts, who transferred from Alabama to Oklahoma. And he was a bit more of an athlete at that point that you could run the ball with. Now, they've done a little bit with Kyler Murray and, and some of the other quarterbacks. But I think Jalen Hurts was the first of the guys that it's like, OK, you know, he's part of our run game, basically. And so that's been very, very good for you, uh, for for uh, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma now transitioning to USC. So, you know, my thing is, OK, if any broke, don't fix it. You go away from that formula of having a guy that is that type of athlete. Whereas Dylan Riola is certainly first and foremost a pocket passer. Not to say that he can't get out of the pocket, not to say he can't extend plays, but you're not necessarily designing a lot of runs for him. You know, do you still do some mesh read? Do you still, you know, give him that option to run on a read option where the the defensive end is crashing down on the line? You know, we saw that a lot with uh, Graham Harrell's offense and, and Clay Helton's uh, kind of sort of offense. Uh, that they were running there with T. Martin and not having the quarterback really ever keep that ball um, after Sam Darnold had graduated, you see that, you know, just that lack of respect really killed the running game. I mean, it absolutely killed the running game because, you know, if if the defense wasn't um, already stopping the run in the initial, you know, gap that the, the running backs trying to read, you had an outside linebacker, you had a defensive end closing in from the backside and making that play because they were just not respecting that the quarterback could be able to run that football. And the quarterback really never did run the football in those situations. So you don't want to go back to that. You know, that's what you want to stay away from. Um, you would hope that, you know, even if you bring in Dylan Royola, he's going to be able at 6'2", 225, uh, be able to run that football and be able to at least keep defenses honest off the edge. Um, he's a big boy. He's strong. I mean, his dad played offensive line in the NFL. Dominic Riola played for the Detroit Lions for uh, quite, a, quite a number of years. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that certainly physicality-wise, he's a big guy. He's not fragile. You know, you, you, he can take some hits. He just doesn't do a lot of it right now. 
And in terms of athleticism, you know, is he going to give you those big Caleb Williams runs? Probably not. It's probably not that fast um, or that quick. And again, that's going to change the offense, right? So now you're depending more on your pocket. You're depending more on your pass protection. And it's, you know, okay, getting the ball out faster, perhaps, and getting the ball uh, to, you know, the in the passing game to specific players and specific reads. And maybe it's a little less RPO and a little more, okay, this is the offense. This is how we're going to run it. It's going to be play action. And this is what your first read is. And this is what your progression is afterwards. So, Again, we're talking about the evolution of the offense. I mean, it's changing right here, right now. If you have Deuce Robinson and you're bringing in these tight ends and you're starting to see a bigger, more physical offensive line, particularly in the interior, I mean, that's where they have the potential to get a lot more physical and a lot bigger. And then you're adding in a quarterback now that is a, a big, big arm quarterback, right? So that's the one thing you can say about Dylan Riola. He can make all the passes. He can make all the throws. And he gets the ball out quick. I mean, that's why he's the number one rated quarterback in the nation. So all of those things uh, absolutely change, the, you know, how the offense is going to look in 2024, 2025, 2026. So um, it's interesting, you know, and, and it's kind of exciting. And, and it's, it's, it's funny to say that because when you think of exciting offenses, of course, you think of four or five receivers and, you know, everybody's running out routes and, and, and linear routes and getting the ball downfield and it's up tempo and it's this, this and this. And the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, when you get to big boy football in the college football playoff and you've got your Alabamas, Ohio State, your Michigans, your your Georgias, those teams are physical. You know, those teams are at, at some point it's like, OK, you kind of know what we do and you're kind of ready for it. But you know what? You don't care. We're going to be better than you. We're going to line up. We're going to out execute you. And we are going to have personnel that are going to be better in those spots. And we are going to beat you anyways. And that's sort of what this is looking like offensively for USC. It looks like a little more like, okay, you know, maybe we're not going to have the razzle dazzle, maybe not the movement that we would have normally, uh, maybe bigger offensive linemen. We don't want to run those counter GTs so much with guys who are like 330. But at the end of the day, we're still going to be able to move you off the ball and we're still going to be able to be very proficient. And then you have to sort of look like, okay, how does that also affect the defense? Because now, you know, your defense, it's going to have to be a little more physical just to keep up with the offense in practice. You're not going to see a seven on team across from you. You're going to see more of an NFL style type of offense. It's going to be using two and perhaps three tight ends and, and a big pocket quarterback. That's, a guy that, you know, you're you're obviously not going to be able to hit the quarterback in practice. So that doesn't really matter so much. But you're going to have to be on your P's and Q's uh, with that ball coming through the air because he's got a big arm. And you're going to have to cover a big-ass tight end that's a big athlete going down the field. It's all sort of changing, and you kind of see where it's going. And uh, it is interesting. And it is, quite frankly, a little more of what USC has won with in the past, if you're looking at – you know, the best USC teams over the decades and decades and decades. And usually they're teams that, you know, if they've got, you know, call it running back you for a reason. And um, you're not going to be running back you running, you know, the Graham Harrell uh, air raid offense. The final piece of the puzzle that has been the Deuce Robinson recruiting saga has been baseball, Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball, whatever you want to call it, just professional baseball in general. And I need to stress, even if, Deuce Robinson commits to USC uh, later today, 
or Georgia or Texas or wherever, that does not mean he's going to play college football. The baseball question still needs to be answered as we move into the summer when the ML, uh, Major League Baseball draft is going to happen July 17th, I believe is the date. And that's one of the reasons why Deuce did, took his recruitment past the National Signing Day uh, in December and in February. He wanted to see – he wanted more clarity on what his MLB future was going to be. And I think we're going to have Shotgun Spratling on the show next week, assuming uh, Deuce commits to USC. We're going to have him talk about baseball and, you know, USC may be playing – or Deuce may be playing baseball at USC because he could play both sports in college. But it's all going to come down to if there is an MLB team out there that is willing to throw some big round money at him. It's not necessarily where he's drafted, but it's the money that's going to be given to him. I mean, he's a six foot six, 225 pound uh, baseball prospect. The comp has been Aaron, Aaron Judge. And based off what Judge did last year, you know, sitting 62 home runs. And, you know, I think a lot of a lot of teams are hearing Aaron Judge and they're going to throw some money at that or want to want to want to take a flyer on a guy who could be the next Aaron Judge. There's going to be some some talks in the, you know, the major league uh, war rooms about Deuce Robinson. So it's all going to depend on how much money is thrown at him. And, you know, we could still be having this discussion in a couple months with the draft coming up, you know, wherever he is committed to, whether that's USC, Georgia, wherever, you know, they're still going to get have to get past that hump of the major league draft. Does he get enough money to sign with a professional team? Does he, you know, not take the money and going to play baseball and football at his school and then go enter the draft in three years and see where he lands uh, next time? And, you know, some people think that with time to develop in college, he could be a first round draft pick in several years the next time he's eligible for the draft. So we still have to settle on the baseball question moving forward, despite what happens with him later today, if he picks a college to commit to. Yeah. And I know nothing about baseball, so I will not opine much about the baseball aspect of things. Certainly from what we've heard, it's sort of third round uh, in terms of the comparable money when you have to take NIL into consideration and there's always that aspect now going to college and whether you're playing football or baseball and certainly I think more with football the NIL money could be there it could be comparable if he's going past the third fourth round um, again any team could pay him whatever they want to but certainly um, by round you tend to play pair players uh, similar similarly uh, to to what uh, they are valued as for that particular selection at that particular round. Um, I mean, I think it's the same with the NFL. It's like you don't want to set this precedent and throw a bunch of money at a guy who's, you know, a six-round draft pick because it just doesn't make any sense and it screws up uh, the rest of your picks and people are going to go, wait a second. I was just, I was just drafted, you know, as your second-round pick and this guy that you just drafted in the sixth round is getting more money than I? It, it messes everything up and agents – are not going to have it. It really would mess up your your whole uh, budget. I, I think as a as a professional organization. So teams don't usually just do that. You know they don't usually just overpay somebody uh, for for no real apparent reason that's been drafted very low. So we tend to go by round as to what the bonus money looks like, and that's the money that's up front, and that's the money 
that is going to lure him away from college. So again, you know, third round has kind of been where people have projected that's where he has to go uh, or lower uh, to be able to get the kind of money where it's okay. Yeah. I got to think about maybe going to the minor leagues and, and just concentrating specifically on baseball. Um, so going forward, I mean, certainly this is going to be impactful uh, potentially for USC baseball as well. You know, the USC baseball um, has actually started out the season better than Georgia baseball. We talked about, you know, the recent, know. The recent success uh, of, of Georgia and baseball versus USC. But, um, you know, the most most recent, which is the present date, uh, is, uh, is is actually a, a little bit uh, more towards USC. Um, so, um, you know, maybe the baseball program is kind of, you know, starting to turn it around and what have you. But um, I mean, it make a major impact as an outfielder and um, certainly would be a big time player for them. So it's not just about the football program. At some point, you know, you do think there's a timetable for him to make that decision as to, you know, whether I'm all in on baseball or all in on football, uh, obviously to try to develop. But there have been those outliers in the past, guys like Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders that have done both. Now, certainly different types of football players and baseball players than Deuce Robinson. You know, I mean, neither of those guys was 6'6". Neither of those guys was 250. And so, you know, I can't really speak to how realistic that would be to, to continue to play both and go on to even have a professional career in both Major League Baseball and the NFL. Uh, but, um, you know, it, it, it's, again, uh, speaking more on the exception than the rule. And just looking at it in terms of development uh, from a tight end standpoint, big receiver standpoint, you know, how does he develop if he's just focusing on football? Because he has put a lot of time into baseball, a lot of time. I mean, this is not something he does that he's just good at. And it's just kind of like, okay, well, I'm just really good at it. So I'm going to see how it goes. We've seen a lot of guys like that, you know, that, that have um, just, they show up, you know, for baseball when baseball starts, it's like, you know, not a lot of, off-season training and not a lot of practice in baseball. But I think with Deuce Robinson, he's very much uh, focused on uh, baseball when baseball is there and he puts in the work and he does a travel team, uh, the whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, 250 pounds and 6'6", you do wonder, okay, <laughs> you know, if, if he's not uh, doing all the baseball stuff, um, you know, is he able to, to gain more weight or, or, or perhaps he actually loses a little bit of weight, you know, and trims down if he was doing a lot of football uh, off-season conditioning. You know, we really don't know how it shape his body, but certainly um, it, it might change it a little bit just because he would have a whole nother um, off-season, you know, just to to do things differently that would be more towards, um, you know, making him a better football player. And that's goes even in the skills and things just, you know, catching the ball more, you know, and again, we talked about run blocking and, and those aspects. And, you know, that has a lot to do with weight room and, and things like that. So all those things are going to impact him. Um, until he, you know, decides to make that decision one or the other, unless again, you know, he's one of those outliers and he can actually uh, do both of those things all through his career. Gerard, let's wrap up Deuce Robinson day and the breakdown of it. Are we giving predictions here at the end of this? We don't do crystal balls really anymore. So are we doing some composite two star? I mean, yeah, we, 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 we definitely think um, he's going to pick USC. Uh, I mean, I think we've thought that for a very long time. That has been the word from USC-centric sources. Now, the read on those sources has not always been 
hundred percent. You know, there's been other guys where there's been a lot of confidence with, um, you know, say recruits in the recruiting class and those in USC circles, you know, certain other players that they felt, you know, USC was, was going to get that. We kind of felt like, eh, not, not, not necessarily. Um, but this is one of those that, um, like you said, I think, you know, since the summer, USC was like the school. And then over the season, it really became, as he took those official visits to other schools, you started to hear more about Georgia. And then Texas got a little bit of talk there. And, and quite frankly, the only thing that's a little bit, you know, make, makes you wary is that kind of towards the end of the year over, I think, the Christmas break, actually had a couple of sources say they thought it was more USC and Texas than USC and Georgia. So the fact that it's down to USC and Georgia, I mean, that might not mean anything. It's hats on the table and it's like, hey, USC beat Georgia. That's a bigger deal for USC than Texas. And certainly if, if Lincoln Riley is talking to Deuce Robinson, Deuce says, hey, man, I'm going to I'm going to break it down to two. What what do you think my two? I'm commit to USC. Who, who the other school should who should be the other school? I think USC would rather say, hey, man, we beat out Georgia than Texas. You know, no, no offense to Texas, but, you know, you're, you're beating uh, the national championship uh, team that, uh, again, you know, utilizes the tight end very well. It's a huge win for USC. I mean, it's like a, a, a overwhelming, overcoming um, a lot of those factors to still land uh, Deuce Robinson. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, for, for me, everything that I've heard. And the thing is, it's not just those USC centric sources. It's, it's also sources outside that bubble that feel pretty confident to this point that it's USC. So I, I would be surprised if it wasn't USC. There you have it, and that's going to wrap up. What? what about you, Mister? I'm I'm pretty much on the same page as you. I feel like USC is okay. Well, I have to no, say it. We're not on video right now. We're 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 actually just talking audio. They got to hear that out of your mouth. Okay, here is my official statement. USC will land Douche Robinson. That is my prediction for Douche Robinson Day. But you're going to have to wait several hours. To find that out, we'll we'll talk about it in the next episode. Whatever happens will happen. Like I said, I, we're going to try to get Shotgun Spratling on, assuming they pick or you excuse me, Deuce picks USC to get the little bit of the baseball side of things. So he might be the first official guest on the Composite Two Star Recruits. Moving on, but before we do officially move on, I did forget to mention at the top of the show that I will not be doing timestamps for this episode because we're having a little issue with. The Skype, it's not showing me how long we've been recording, so I don't have a good reference for marking down the timestamp. So, and I'm not going to go back and just find it listening by manual. I have to write it down. So, I'm sorry, there will be no timestamps on Deuce Robinson Day. I apologize. I don't mean to ruin your holiday, USC fans, but here we go. Moving forward. Oh, what? April Fools? Yeah, no. Deuce Robinson Day. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought you were confusing Easter for this weekend. No, no, no. Deuce Robinson Day. Moving forward, USC has another big visitor on tap. That is Longview 2024 four-star running back, Texas Tatum. Sorry, Taylor Taylor Tatum, not Texas Tatum. <laughs> he is from Texas. His first name is not Texas. Although Tex, uh, Texas Tatum is not a terrible name to have. Just for anyone who maybe wants to name their kid Texas. But he is the number 49 overall player. The number two running back in the country. Yes, not in Texas. The country. And he is the number 10 prospect in the state of Texas. Has offers from Alabama, Auburn, Baylor, USC, Michigan. A whole slew of them. 
close to 40 hours, five foot 10, 205 pounds. He is making his second visit to the Trojans. He's going to be visiting for the USC spring game. So that is a, a good day to get some kids on campus. I don't feel like they had a ton of out-of-state kids uh, the first spring game. So it's interesting that they've gotten you know a big name to come here and Taylor Tatum for his second visit to USC. But Kyle McDonald recruiting the state of Texas for those running backs. And we're going to talk a little bit about those running back targets that are emerging. And I actually have a question, Gerard that was asked for listener questions, but it's specifically about Taylor Tatum and Brian Jackson. So I figured we should read it now for the show. Bump it up. Bump it up. Bump it up. Do you want me to go now or do you want to Yeah, I mean, we're on the, the topic, and so I might just uh, end up talking over it and overlapping it. So might okay. as well put the question out first. Okay, sounds good. This comes from Mike Viramontes, a great last name, with Taylor Tatum – visiting for the spring game, I think it's safe to say he is Coach Kyle's priority target. That being said, what do you guys make of Brian Jackson? We have the early crystal ball picks in, but he's listed as an athlete on 247. Is there potential to use him as an H-back? Would Jackson at H-back allow them to pursue another running back with to pair with Tatum, or does the chance USC might lose three backs after the season allow them to just bring in three backs anyway? Thanks, and that's from Mike. Interesting question. As we look at the the running back board, you know, Brian Jackson is a guy who is being recruited as a running back. I can tell you that and USC does have the crystal ball in for him. I think there was a new one that got picked up earlier this week. He is supposed to come to town for that April 8th holy hour, as it has been dubbed on the composite two star recruits. So I think USC is very good place for Brian Jackson. And I do think that McDonald is going to attempt to sign multiple running backs once again, just because, you know, Austin Jones, we're assuming that this will be his last year. Marshawn Lloyd, redshirt junior. I believe he has plans to make this his final year with the, with the big season to, to head to the league. And then we don't really know what's going to happen with Darlin Barlow. He could enter that grad transfer range and, you know, transfer once again with without having to sit out once he is a graduate transfer. So, yeah, they could lose three backs, and they would have the two freshmen, uh, Quentin Joyner and Amarion Peterson and Relique Brown. But also, you know, the transfer portal was always there, and I would not be shocked if they did not dip in for a veteran, seeing as this next season will be their first in the Big Ten. You want some veteran leadership there. So I would not be surprised if they also dipped into the portal in addition to signing at least two high school backs for the 2024 class. I think, you know, the first question is, is this the number one running back on Kyle McDonald's board? I do think it's safe to say that he's up there. You know, he's definitely one of the top running backs on the board for USC. This is going to be a second unofficial visit. I believe he was here for the Arizona State game, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, making another unofficial visit uh, kind of in terms of, uh, you know, profile physically looks like a Kyle McDonald running back. He's like 5'10", 205 pounds. So he's eclipsed that 200 pound mark, which seems to be, uh, you know, kind of a theme with the running backs that Kyle McDonald likes to recruit. He likes little bigger guys. He wants some physicality. And it reminds me of Kennedy Polamalu. I remember when Kennedy Polamalu came back to USC um, as a, as offensive coordinator and running backs coach, and he was looking 
at the running backs at USC. He's like, we got to get guys that are bigger. We got to get guys that are 200 pounds plus. Like, how are you supposed to, you know, move the ball on a third and two? And, and you know, there's going to be those plays where the defense just reads what you're going to do. They know what you're going to do. And you got to have a running back that's going to break a tackle. And we saw that, you know, last year where just, you know, sometimes the, 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 the defense reads what you're going to do. And, um, you know, you, you've got to be able to have guys that can just kind of squirm out of a tackle and get a yard and a half and be able to move those chains. You know, it, it can be a big deal in, in a game in terms of momentum. And so they do like, you know, those bigger physical backs. Now, coming in for the spring game, I don't know is necessarily a tell that he's at the top of the list. I think it's more that he's coming back. The spring game, as you mentioned, not usually a big recruiting weekend for USC. And that goes back even to the Pete Carroll days, mainly because you're competing against other spring games and potentially getting that comparison of, oh, my gosh, it was 75,000 people at the Ohio State spring game. It was like a regular game. Uh, Nebraska had 90, 90,000 people at the spring game. And USC has like 30,000, 25,000 people at a spring game. You know, it's just not comparable in terms of atmosphere. And I think, you know, USC coaches know that. And so it's like, we don't want to necessarily showcase that. Um, but at the same time, you do want to bring guys in uh, during the spring at certain events. And you want to be able to try to sell them as early as possible and change this from being a traction visit to going into the summer feeling like, okay, this is the third time this particular prospect's going to be on campus. Family has been here at least once, or, or, or maybe they haven't. I'm not really sure on this first visit if his parents came with him. Um, but you're getting closer to, you know, checking off all the boxes and figuring out academically, getting a better relationship with the coaching staff. And certainly that's what this is going to be about. You know, it's about getting more of a relationship with Kyle McDonald, with Lincoln Riley, with the staff as a whole. Uh, being more comfortable with Los Angeles. And I think that's going to be a big deal, not so much for Taylor, but for his family. That's going to be the big thing. You know, you're from Longview. Longview is East Texas and it's pine trees and it's not big city. East Texas is really out of all the regions in Texas, probably the most difficult place for USC really to set up shop because it is a bit more rural. It is a bit more country uh, than a lot of other places in Texas. It's not like Houston. It's not like Dallas-Fort Worth. It's not even like Austin. It's not like San Antonio. It's the most rural of all of those. And so um, I think, you know, the acclimation to the area uh, is a big deal and feeling comfortable with the players and the coaching staff is a big deal. And if you can sort of check those boxes, you know, on these unofficial visits, then you get to a point where the official visit, you're able to really sort of, you know, have that that T-ball set up to hit it out of the park and say, okay, we got everything. We know and it's not just what Taylor Tatum and his family know about USC. It's also but what USC knows about Taylor Tatum and his family, right? So that's where the official visit, the certain things are set up. You know, you know, this is what he likes and this is what he wants to learn more about and et cetera. You know, and you really just sort of set that thing up, man, where you can hit that home run on that official visit and close the deal during the summer, which is probably, you know, where I think, you know, right now Tatum is is looking at making a commitment late summer. So from that standpoint, that's why it's a big deal. Now, looking at Tatum and Jackson uh, versus Jackson, I think when we talk about Brian Jackson, we're talking about a running back. I don't necessarily see him as an H-back. He's listed at six foot, 240 pounds. 
And usually H backs tend to be a little taller than that. You know, it used to be in that six, two, six, three range. Um, now it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I think, you know, with Brian Jackson, he does look a bit more like a straight running back. Um, I think if you were looking at him uh, as, as a, a different variant, it would be more of a fullback really than an actual H back. Because again, I think H backs, tend to look a little more like tight ends these days in these type of offenses. Um, again, it, it really sort of depends on what you require from them uh, from a run blocking standpoint, but then also in the passing game, you know, do you want a little more length? Do you want a guy that can, um, that can, that can kind of extend his arms a little bit on the edge and, and be more of a seal blocker? Or do you want a guy that's more of a straight up lead blocker? And obviously we don't see a ton of that anymore these days. Uh, with offenses, you don't see the eye formation very much or even the broken eye uh, from that standpoint. You do see the pistol now and again, but still, you usually don't have a guy that's like a straight-up lead blocker. It's usually a guy in motion that ends up being a lead blocker to some extent. And again, body type's a little different. So I wouldn't look at Brian Jackson necessarily as an H-back. I would look at Brian Jackson as the thunder to perhaps Tatum's lightning. Not to say that Tatum is necessarily you know that type of running back either. He looks to me on film to be a, a good combo back. He's got some speed. He's a good all-around running back. Um, the bigger question is like, you know, is that a better way for USC to go to continue to have those types of running backs and sort of the same similar type of running back? Or do you go to more of a, a one guy does a one specific thing really well and he's your power back? And obviously in that conversation, Brian Jackson's that guy at 6'4", 240, um, or excuse me, 6'240". Uh, and then going the opposite and going after a guy like a Nate Frazier, who's, you know, 5'11", 190 pounds and runs a 10-7. And you're looking at the guys that are actually putting up, you know, really good track um, times and things of that nature. And, and so uh, that that's probably the bigger question if you're going after two running backs and they're actually running backs. And, and like you said, Chris, when you went through uh, sort of that scholarship distribution chart and you're looking at what USC – could lose. They could lose three running backs from that running back room right now. And so that is still, you know, a little bit of a question uh, going forward. You know, how how much um, run do you see from Marshawn uh, Lloyd and, and how big of a year can he have where he can, you know, be that guy that's going to end up, um, you know, being able to go a one and done type of player. And uh, certain Austin Jones is gone after this year. And what's going to happen with Darwin Barlow? You know, is he going to stick around? Maybe he leaves at the end of spring. Uh, we don't really know. But it could very well be three running backs missing. And we've also seen Rolik Brown this spring playing more of the receiver position and being more of a slot. I still expect him to be involved with the running game quite a bit. You know, I think we'll still see him uh, used, but maybe just used a little differently in terms of how they get him the ball um, and, the, and the frequency that he lines up right you know, in the in the offensive backfield right next to Caleb Williams or in back of Caleb Williams, just depending on the set, um, but still being certainly a part of, of uh, the, the running game uh, to, to a large extent. So, yeah, I, I, you know, it's a little blurred as to, you know, whether you'd actually go after three running backs. I think that's a lot, but I think two running backs is definitely um, there's there's a good probability that they want to sign two guys and uh, you, you're going to probably try to do it out of high school. Uh, but if you don't, you know, they've been pretty good thus far getting guys out of the portal. And that's always sort of that safety net that you have in recruiting these days. Uh, that, uh, A, there's been good running backs that have been in the portal uh, the past two, three cycles. 
And B, USC has been good at getting the top running backs out of the portal uh, each of those cycles. Your boy, uh, Nate Frazier, just picked up an offer from Georgia. Stock yeah. is on the rise. Stock is on the rise. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's um, going to continue to run track this spring, and, and he's had some very good track times. And he's had those good track times, and he's been a good skill player. But now he's put on the weight and obviously playing well at modern day. I think there's a lot of people who question – you know, the lack of production, but, you know, certainly when you've got Jordan Davis in there, the six foot, 215 pound sophomore, who's, you know, a, a player that a lot of people have known about, even going back to his IE duck days, uh, you're going to have to split those carries. And uh, Davidson is a guy that you got to lather up. You know, he's one of those guys that you got to get the ball to and get him warmed up. And that's always the sort of uh, balance that you have to have as a running back coach. And as a play caller is, you know, how much do we want to rotate our running backs and how much do we want to be able to get our guy, our main guy, the ball. So he kind of gets a feel for the rhythm of the, of the, the line and just the, the tempo of the game and everything. And, you know, there's rhythm to running the football, just as there is the passing the football. And if you're constantly rotating, you know, three guys in there, um, sometimes it's hard. Some guys just cannot get with the rhythm of what's going on. I think a guy like really Brown, is a bit more of a guy you can put in there and boom, he can break a big run. You don't necessarily need to give him the ball, um, you know, five, six times in a row uh, for him to kind of get, get loose and get going. But a guy like Jordan Davidson is, is definitely a guy that he's a downhill runner and he's a guy that you want to be able to get consecutive runs to, to start to really get his thing. He just gets going, he gets lathered up, you know? And um, I think that uh, that's, that's, Part of the reason why, you know, Nate Frazier has been used a little more as an all-purpose back, a little more of a change of pace back. But I don't think that's really um, a criticism of him uh, as a player. I, I don't think his lack of production is, is because he's not good enough. You know, I think he's raw, certainly, but I think there's definitely um, that ability to come in and change that uh, sort of uh, pace of the offense. And he is probably better at getting a a carry here and there sporadically and still making an impact than, than probably Jordan Davison is. I think I'm a little bit biased just because we share the same first name, but I am a big fan of Phoenix running back Christian Clark, three-star prospect who has blowed up this offseason, Alabama, Auburn, uh, Stanford, Ole Miss, Miami, USC got him on campus for an unofficial visit. That is also another person to another running back to keep in mind as we move through through the, the rest of the spring and summer, if they get him back on campus, as we mentioned, McDonald does seem to like his uh, Texas running backs. But, you know, USC has been mining the state of Arizona frequently, and that would be uh, a kid to maybe keep home uh, or keep on the West Coast in Christian Clark. But we'll see as that moves forward. And then also Jason Brown at the Seattle area, a running back uh, who visited recently this offseason. Once again, Gerard, that's correct. Yeah, he's visited USC twice. Christian Clark came in earlier in the spring as well. So all those guys have been on campus. Nate Frazier, I think, visited in January for that sort of mini junior day that USC had. And so all those guys have been on campus. I think certainly you get the vibe. USC is recruiting Taylor Tatum probably the hardest at that point. Um, they have, you know, put a good foot forward for Jason Brown. Um, you know, we just had an update uh, from Huff on him. Uh, Christian Clark is a little more of a question mark. You know, he's blown up, uh, more recently. And so, you know, you watch his film and everything. You're kind of like trying to kind of get the feel for, okay, what, 
what does he bring to the table as a, as a running back as opposed to some of these other guys? And, um, you know, certainly, I mean, the interesting thing about Tatum, probably, you know, when we're looking versus that other group is, you know, he he runs in a kind of a, a, an old school pro style offense. Like it's a lot of quarterback under center and, you know, has really good lateral feet. Um, he, again, you know, he's got good speed, but he's not necessarily like a lightning guy, you know, 205 pounds, you know, five foot 10. He's, he's kind of similar running style to some of the guys that uh, they've recruited in the past. And um, I wouldn't say he's exactly like Quentin Joyner or Mary Peterson, certainly. Um, but it's certainly a guy that can kind of do a little bit of both, not a huge guy, but also a guy that has some physicality to him as well. Um, and Jason Brown is, is similar to that. Jason Brown is actually quite diminutive. He, he's like five, nine, probably. Um, and, and is a guy that is actually a bit more of a power back to some extent, uh, in terms of his running style, even though he's not a big guy. Uh, but he is uh, pretty, you know, kind of more of an every down back, um, either uh, even then, you know, I think a Nate Frazier, um, Christian Clark, again, I kind of need to see him more in person, just, you know, to see the body type and what have you, uh, because that kind of can change your opinion a bit. You know, you see uh, certain guys and, you know, if you looked at Nate Frazier when he was at um, Downey uh, St. Matthias uh, Pius, he was St. <laughs> Matthias yeah, Pius. Yeah, he was. Uh, you know, sm- a smallish sort of quarterback when USC first offered him a scholarship. And uh, that was, you know, his freshman going into his sophomore year and his sophomore year he was there. And then he transferred to modern day. And you can see the sort of off-season football program. Like, uh, you know, there's obviously a big difference there resources-wise from St. Uh, Matthias Pius than uh, there is at modern day. And he put on that weight. And he's still fast, but he was able to put on that weight, get stronger. Um, he's very quick. He's very explosive from that standpoint. But he's the one guy out of that group uh, that I know of that has has run some pretty legit track times. Um, I think Tatum has run the 200 and maybe he has some good 100 times. You know, I have to check up on that um, if he's been running track this offseason. I'm sure he has. Uh, but I don't know if he's running any like, you know, really like legit 10, 8, you know, sort of, um, you know, 100 meter time. That's that's really when we get in that conversation of elite speed for a running back. Um, you got to be kind of sub 10, eight, you know, that's where you start to enter that conversation. Then, you know, it becomes, okay, is it football speed or is it track speed? You know, I, I could say this with Nate Frazier, he has football speed, right? He's running good track times, but he's got good football speed. He's quick. He's got good lateral feet. Um, he does a lot of those things that you see where, you know, the, the speed sort of shows up when you're watching him, you know, there's some guys that can run a 10, seven, and then you watch them on the football field and you're like, really? He doesn't really look that fast, you know, on film. He doesn't look like he's being able to break these angles the way you think he would in the open field, being able to run that fast. So you do have to take that into account as well. There are guys that, you know, run decent track times that don't necessarily show that so much on the football field. Um, And, you know, with football, a lot of it has to do with just the acceleration and certainly your change of direction speed. You know, the one thing about guys like Reggie Bush, C.J. Spiller, they were fast whether they were turning or they were running straight. And that's where, you know, that that's where you make a big play happen. You know, you get around that corner and you put your foot in the ground and you cut, and there's not a whole lot of slowing down when you're making that move. And then, and then everybody else is like, uh, and that's where you get two yards, three yards on everybody and uh, you're gone. You know, you take it to the house. So um, that's one of those things that uh, is, is an interesting factor in this. Again, if we're coupling it with, okay, 
you pencil in Brian Jackson, there is a potential guy that you're playing with. Yeah. You know, how opposite do you go of him? You know, do you go with, okay, we, we want to go and get that guy who has that sort of downhill running, you know, 240 pounds already in high school. He's a big boy. You know, he's, he's, he's bringing a lot with them uh, behind those pads. Do you bring a guy that's like exact opposite to have sort of, you know, that, that spectrum, that change of pace, or do you say, you know what, we got the big guy, but we still want to have a guy that could potentially be a really good every down back for us. And that's where I think, you know, you're looking at Jason Brown, you're looking at Tatum. Some people would say I have good podcast speed, Gerard. Would you agree? No. Mm. No. I'm going to just move over that as we move into our next topic. We're going to talk about some Texas defensive backs, Gerard. How does that sound? That sounds marvelous. Are we taking a break or are we just going? No, I'm just setting up the next thing. We're going to do these uh, (laughs) two defensive backs, talk about them, and then we're going to go into a break. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. But starting off, four-star Forney, Texas safety, Aaron Flowers put out a, excuse me, he, I don't think it's an official top schools list, but he has set a commitment date for April 7th, and their contenders for him will be Alabama, USC, Oregon, and Oklahoma. He is a guy who recently took an unofficial visit to USC. Uh, he actually was on campus for a spring practice, and unfortunately for him, it was a very, very rainy L.A. day, so it, he didn't get the full L.A. experience based off his visit with the weather and how bad it was. But he's the number 109 overall, 109 overall player in the 24-7 sports rankings, the number seven safety, six foot, 190 pounds. Oklahoma currently has the lone crystal ball projection for him, but USC is one of those contenders uh, up there with, uh, as I said, Alabama, Oklahoma, and Oregon. So... USC, you know, has not a lot of momentum in terms of the 2024 class, just a single commitment with uh, Joey Olsen, the Oregon tight end. So USC fans hoping they can start getting some momentum for the 2024 class. Could Aaron Flowers be the first one to rejoin or join the 2024 class and give Joey Olsen some company? We'll see. I'm in the process of getting an interview with him for how that visit went. Yeah, so with Aaron Flowers, uh, interesting player in that he kind of reminds me a bit of the defensive back that never was for USC in the 2023 class. <laughs> they went after Braxton Myers, who was uh, rated as a safety, and, and really most people projected him uh, athletically more as a safety, but he played cornerback in high school. And USC, uh, Dante Williams specifically, was recruiting him as a boundary cornerback. And then we move into the summer and, and, and through the May evaluation period, uh, Warren Wolverton shows up from Red Oak, Texas, a guy who was a three-star who um, kind of rose into uh, being a four-star over the course of the year. And a guy that was a bit more athletic than Braxton Myers, uh, played offense and uh, played defense uh, and was um, really sort of an all-around player for Red Oak. And, you know, he was a guy that kind of blew up there at the end of May into June and really never took any visits except for he went to USC during the golden hour. He went to USC on that big June 17th uh, official visit weekend and was a guy a lot of people felt uh, very confident about. Um, I was never told that he was a, uh, a silent commitment by anybody, any, any trusted sources that I had. But I think USC felt very confident about him coming out of the summer and 
we actually were at the point where I was setting up his commitment announcement at the end of the summer. And um, we thought, you know, it was going to be USC at that point. And then uh, I talked to his coach at Red Oak and it was clear he wasn't quite ready yet. And I said, listen, um, if you guys got to put out a top four or whatever, that's fine. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you when, you know, he's ready to make a decision and, you know, we can put him on, on CBS and, and what have you. And so the process kind of went on and went on. And uh, then, you know, Texas came in there uh, at some point with a scholarship offer. And, um, you know, he ends up committing to TCU. Uh, and TCU had a great year. But TCU brought in four other safeties. And, uh, and, and they got that drubbing, you know, against Georgia. And I just think everything sort of changed for him to some extent uh, with those two factors. And Texas stayed on him. USC stayed on him. He actually came back for an unofficial visit to USC. Um, uh, I was, I think it was in January because he did not sign during the early signing period, which was a, a little bit of a surprise to TCU at that point. And a lot of people were saying, you know, maybe, you know, ASU was going to get involved. Brian Carrington, who used to be an analyst for USC, um, had uh, gone to TCU and was the recruiting coordinator at TCU. And then he moved on to ASU, uh, with the new coaching staff. And so there was a lot of talk like, okay, you know, maybe Robinson ends up at ASU, but it really came down to, I think his mom didn't really want him to go too far away from home. And, um, he ends up, you know, committing to Texas. And so that one was off the table for USC. USC also recruited Tyler Scott. Um, and uh, was a guy out of Georgia that was a little bit of a late offer. I think that was a back end of September, you know, when when things with Roberson uh, started going south. And he was another guy, 6'2", 190 pounds, plays cornerback, but was probably projected more as a safety. And I think he ended up being rated as a safety. And USC recruited him. He came in on an official visit, didn't hear anything really about his official visit, how it went, and, you know, the, the, the feel, um, the read on that recruitment. And he ends up going ahead and, and committed to, to, to Auburn. And then there was another player in there that went to Auburn that USC was recruiting. And it was J.C. Hart, was it? I, I, there was another. Yeah, J.C. Hart. It was one of those guys that just was like a name there for a little bit. They offered a scholarship to. And uh, I think he was from Auburn and is the city that he's from. And he was committed to Auburn. You kind of rolled your eyes and go, yeah, good luck on that one. And that's basically how that recruitment went. So USC went after all these guys recruiting that boundary corner position out of guys that were rated to be safeties. And so this is kind of what Aaron Flowers is. Aaron Flowers is a guy that plays uh, a, a lot of cornerback. He does play safety also, Forney, but he plays a lot of cornerback, and he is rated as a safety. He definitely looks, to me on film, more like a safety, just in terms of speed, suddenness. I don't think he's a guy you really want to play out there uh, too much as a man corner. Um, I think he definitely, uh, in terms of athletic ability and that skill set, reads more as a safety. And so, you know, he's one of those guys that, um, you know, I, I think kind of falls into that category of uh, that that player that USC has been looking for for the past two cycles. Notably, doesn't have scholarship offers from Texas or Texas A&M, uh, but a decent player on film. I think it's down to Alabama, USC, Oregon, Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma had some early uh, confidence there. I think he probably unofficially visited o uh, Oklahoma and got a crystal ball. Um, but um, there's been a lot of people speculating that, you know, USC's the leader, I think, again, going back to that Lincoln Riley tweet, which is, you know, maybe that's Aaron Flowers. Maybe that's Deuce Robinson. You know, we don't want to necessarily say what we are hearing about that. But um, I, I think uh, there's uh, – um, 
a decent chance that he ends up at USC. It's, it's a hard read. You know, he, he wasn't offered by USC I think until just uh, earlier in the spring. Um, so he's not a guy that we really know a whole lot about. And uh, we've been trying to uh, track down and, and getting, you know, some type of feedback from his unofficial visit to USC this spring. But um, a player, like I said, I think he kind of fits the category sort of a, of a Braxton Myers, you know, Tyler Scott to some extent. Um, not quite as athletic uh, to me on film as Warren Robertson. I think out of that group, Warren Robertson is a guy that kind of stands out a little more. I, I, I think what always stands out to me, defensive backs that can do stuff on offense as well. I, I think I want to see some receiver film of you. I want to see your special team. I want to see you make more of an impact all around because I think, you know, cornerbacks, particularly safeties to some extent as well, that play offense, I think, think they just have a little better eyes when they're playing defense. And then when you get to college and you're just focused on that, it's okay. You know, you're focused on that one position. Uh, but what you had experienced in high school playing the offensive side of the ball gives you just a little more dimension as a, a defensive back. You know, a lot of really good safeties that play quarterback in, in high school. And so not a lot of film of him, you know, on offense at all. So that's a little disappointing. You know, I would like to see some, some more skill set just, you know, in terms of catching the ball and what have you. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. He's going to, uh, I think, announce April 4th. Um, and so, uh, you know, it'll be coming up here soon. And, and again, I, I really don't have much of a read right here right now about uh, where he goes. I, I, again, I think there may be, you know, some assumptions maybe where he was leaning or what have you. Um, I know the Alabama guys talked to him a little bit after that official visit. I just don't know how high up on the board he is uh, for Alabama um, at this point in time. The other safety is a little bit higher rated. That's McKinney, Texas, Tech five-star safety, Xavier Filsame. Filsame. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to you. Sounds good to George. Sounds good to me. He put out his final five uh, today. That included USC, Georgia, Oregon, Florida, and AS and Syria. LSU, not ASU, uh, as I mentioned. Or McKinney, Texas, that is the same high school as Brian Jackson, the running back we were talking about earlier. So USC in the final five, you know, you got five official visits. He, I would expect him to use an official visit if he got five of them, but he is scheduled to make a visit for USC's April 8th holy hour, as we have dubbed it. So that's another big one on docket. As I mentioned, he is a five-star prospect, five-star safety in the 2024 class. USC in in the hunt for a couple of uh, Texas defensive backs, Gerard. Yeah, I mean, in the hunt for just more Texas players, which you would you know think would be the case with the coaching staff having some of those connections to that area, and they're certainly trying. I think they're just trying to feel themselves out still to some extent. Mm -hmm. You know, how successful can they be in Texas? How successful can they be in the DMV? Those are the two areas which they focused, I think, the most on outside of just, you know, having a greater presence in Las Vegas and in Arizona, which the previous staff did not, you know, they missed on some very good players that came out of those areas. And so certainly you want to expand that and consider that local recruiting. I mean, it's not, <laughs> I mean, Arizona Phoenix is not really local for USC, but in terms of regional prowess, you know, if you're going to be successful at USC recruiting, you're going to have to get the best players out of those areas. And, you know, you certainly want to do better up north as well. So, yeah, some of that focus that they have right now in Texas, we'll see where it goes. You know, the the last staff was very, very, very focused on recruiting Texas. And 
Uh, like I said before, you know, East Texas is kind of probably um, the place where you're going to have the least success. But that was really where USC was focusing a ton of energy on. I was recruiting East Texas under the Clay Helton staff. Um, this staff has been a little bit all over the place with it. You know, they've gone after some guys in Houston, gone after some guys in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. They've certainly been a bit more uh, focused on Dallas-Fort Worth than the past staff. And then you would think they probably have a, a little better uh, reputation and connection with those high school coaches and those players because uh, of Lincoln Riley being at Oklahoma and Dennis Simmons being at Oklahoma, Roy Manning being at Oklahoma. You know, some of those coaches that came over, um, Brian Odom uh, being at Oklahoma and recruiting that Red River region. So you understand, you know, that's definitely going to be an area where they're going to try to uh, continue to make inroads. It is an area, however, uh, coming away from last year. I, I mentioned this in the past. That was the one area where the defensive players, they did cite Oklahoma's defenses and Alex Grinch and the lack of defensive development as being a reason why they were hesitant about USC. And USC did strike out on a number of those players last year, and they were in that DFW area. You know, they were in that Dallas-Fort Worth area, that Red River area, and that's the area where, you know, those kids watched a lot of Oklahoma football. So it's not like, hey, Oklahoma was this great team. They got the college football playoff, but I don't really know why. You know, kids in Florida, kids in the DMV, they, they probably didn't really watch Oklahoma all that much. They just saw the box scores and they saw the rankings and they said, oh, you know, Oklahoma, that, that was a good football program. Lincoln Riley won a bunch of games there. Cool. Now he's at USC. I'm going to go check out USC. He's turned that thing around. Whereas guys in that Dallas-Fort Worth area in North Texas are going, okay, yeah, but I remember Oklahoma. I remember seeing this game, that game. I went to these games. I had a cousin that went to these games. My brother was recruited. And so they have a little bit more of an opinion about Oklahoma football, good and bad. So that's going to be interesting to watch as we move forward. Like you said, uh, Xavier is the teammate of uh, Brian Jackson. And, and there is some uh, feeling like Brian Jackson uh, is leaning towards USC at this point. Coming in April 8th, which will be a, a big weekend uh, for USC recruiting-wise. Um, I think it is interesting looking at him versus a guy like Flowers because you have two players that are safeties. Now, I, if I recall, I think uh, Phil Sami, uh, we'll just go with that last name at the, at the moment, uh, pronunciation-wise, apologize if we're butchering it, uh, was rated as a quarterback at one point. Now, he does have some track times behind him, and I think that was the reason why, because he's a 10-5-2 guy uh, in track. So he's got some legitimately good track times and uh, they're probably looking, you know, 6'1", 185 pounds ish, uh, a guy that could potentially play corner because of his athleticism, but now rated as a safety. And he plays exclusively at safety. So this is a little different from Aaron Flowers and that Aaron Flowers is one of those guys that kind of he dabbles a bit at safety and he plays some safety, but he plays a lot more cornerback on film, whereas um, Xavier plays almost exclusively at safety. And so that's interesting. You know, he's very sudden. Uh, he's definitely faster than flowers on film. I mean, that just jumps out at you immediately and you don't need to look at the track times to know that he's definitely a guy that, you know, he's downhill. He hits, he's a bit more sudden. Uh, he's a bit more agile, uh, but he is a guy that plays uh, again, exclusively safety. So he's a free safety type. He's a single high type, but it does have the physicality and does play near the line of scrimmage enough that you could probably move them around a little bit. If you had a guy that was injured and you said, you know what, because this team, we need our safeties, our best players to be closer to the box. You could definitely move him down. He has the size and 
he certainly has um, the, the physicality to be able to play in the box and be a guy that can still be a difference maker. So, you know, five-star, I think that's, um, you know, the, the, the rankings committee kind of said, you know, we're, we're, we're taking a chance a little bit on that. I do agree. <laughs> I think, um, you know, because he plays again, exclusively safety, that's just one of those things as an evaluator, I kind of go, okay, I'd like to see a little more. We see more and more guys that are multi-sport athletes and he is a multi-sport athlete. You know, he's a track star, really. I mean, you're running 10, five, two, um, as a, as a junior, that's, that's a hell of a time. That's a very good time. He could be in the four fours for sure uh, this spring. So he's a multi-sport athlete. So that's definitely a check in that box. But you do want to see guys play multiple positions. Um, you know, there's always those sort of rare high schools. Uh, the modern days and the St. John Bosco's and the IMGs of the world, you know, maybe St. Francis would be in there. But there's not a lot of high schools where it's like, hey, you've got a really talented guy. You want to kind of see him play both sides of the ball. Now, I think he does have some statistics as a sophomore or a freshman. I think he caught as a sophomore, he caught like 30 balls or what have you. I just haven't seen a lot of film of him actually playing offense. So I'd like to see a little more of that. Just again, you get to see ball skills. You get to see some different things from him athletically. Um, and that's always important. You know, when you're starting to talk about five star guys, the expectation is those guys are going to be difference makers on both sides of the ball. They're sort of a gravitational point for that high school football team. You know, the, the guys that have kind of busted out and some of those guys that we've seen in the past and they're five stars and they just kind of don't play that level. You kind of think back and go, man, you know, he only played cornerback in high school. And it's like, that's, you know, in high school, you're not really doing a whole lot as a cornerback. You know, you're, you're, you're really the opposing offense can just throw the ball to the other side of the field, take you completely out of the game. The safety, it's a little harder. You know, you can move around as a safety a little more. Uh, but still, sometimes you get guys that just end up single high and they're just not huge impact players. Um, I think uh, Xavier had like 90 tackles last year, though. So that does speak to him being close to the box. But uh, definitely, you know, good player. This is a final five for him. You know, this is not a top five. This is a final five, according to him, USC, Georgia, Oregon, Florida and LSU. And he made this kind of coming off that Georgia visit. And that was a big unofficial visit for him. I think he's unofficially visited every school on his list outside of USC. So the USC April 8th visit will be big. And it's certainly um, going to be, you know, a, a point where USC is like, you know, they're, they're either trying to close the deal with him because he may make a, a decision before, you know, he takes his official visits. We don't really know right now. Um, or they are trying to secure, you know, that they're going to have that spot among his uh, official visits. And then again, this is basically attraction visit and they're going to try to uh, be able to close that deal in the summer. But right now, I mean, this, this is a final five. So he's looking at, you know, nobody else. He's just concentrating on these schools going forward. And we'll see if USC is able to make a, a really good first impression. Final five, baby. And with that, let's, I called you baby, not babe that time. I just want that on record with that. Let's take our break for the first half of the show. When we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about the elite 11 regional some new NCAA recruiting calendar news, and then some listener questions. How does that sound, Gerard? That sounds okay. Sounds I'm be okay. Honest I'll be honest with you, I don't think you sold it. I think you got a little more enthusiasm there, but, uh, but it, it sounds okay. Okay, let me try that again. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Elite 11 Regional, where I was at with JP, five stars only, Perez, some NCAA recruiting calendar updates. And then we got a whole bunch of listener questions. How does that sound, Gerard? That sounds like something that I want to listen to. 
fantastic. Okay, we'll be right back after this break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, Gerard, and we're back. Out at this week, this past weekend, I was out at Warren High School. Me and Jarrett Five Stars Only Perez. We were at the Elite 11 Los Angeles Regional. I was there from about 10.30 to about 3 o'clock. Saw some of the top local QB prospects from around the area. A lot of 2026 guys, a lot, a lot of 25 guys, 2025 guys, and a smattering of 2024 guys. Out of that group, only one person got invited, and that was a guy who I've been high on since you know I first met him, Julian Sayan, the Alabama commit. He was the only QB to get a Elite 11 invite from the 2024 class. And look, I think that's fair. I think he was the only one worthy of the offer to the Elite 11 at the time. He just looked like different from every quarterback there. You could just see that this guy just seemed to be on another level. It's why he's a five-star prospect. It's why he's committed to Alabama. I personally thought USC should have gone in harder for Julian Sane, but here we are now. Julian Sane is going to the Elite 11. Other interesting QBs, that, you know, just some guys to keep in mind, you know, Alonzo Esparza, he's a Los, a Los Alamitos 2025 quarterback. One guy that was like the biggest guy there, John Gazaninga. G-A-Z-Z-A-N-I-G-A. He's, from, he's at Orange Luthan at 2025. He looked like legitimate six foot four, six foot five. He was a big, big guy. Another guy who was in there who was uh, eye-catching was uh, Brady Smeagol, Smeagol. He recently took an unofficial visit to USC. He, this is his second visit to USC since the offseason. He is a 2026 now, USC has only offered one 2026 in the, in the class. That has gone to Julian Lewis. The, some people are saying the number one overall prospect for that class. But USC is you know keeping options open. And Smigel is considered a, a QB phenom. Started as a freshman. Had a really, really good season. So you know just keeping it warm for him. The other intriguing option for us there at the Elite 11 was Elijah Brown. Elijah Brown, the modern-day quarterback, USC offer. USC is still 
continuing to communicate with uh, Elijah Brown. You know, he talks to Lincoln Ryland weekly. He will be taking an unofficial visit soon. You know, they are still pursuing Dylan Raiola. Obviously, that is their number one target. But they're keeping the door open with Elijah Brown, keeping him warm, keeping the relationship open in case, well, we don't know what's going to happen. Something always seems to happen in uh, recruiting. Other guys that stood out, uh, the guy with maybe the best name out there, uh, Butter Tolufson out of J. Sarah. He's going to be a good one, 2025. Can't beat a nickname like Butter. Uh, Walker Lyons' younger brother was out there as well. I am blanking. Uh, Ryder Lyons out of Folsom. He is a 2026 quarterback, rocking the beanie, had his own distinctive look. But there was a lot of guys out there that were slinging the pill, but only one got the invite to the Elite 11. That was one, Julian Sayan. So very interesting with Sayan being, you know, a good margin better, in your opinion, and obviously an opinion of the camp counselors and directors than everybody else. And Elijah Brown and where he fits into the grand scheme of things with USC, USC, you know, the eggs are obviously in the Dylan Royola basket. You've seen plenty of Brown. I've seen plenty of Brown. You've seen some of Riola. I've seen some of Riola. Um, I guess, you know, what people are probably thinking right now is, you know, what does that look like versus? Okay, you know, we kind of talked about that with the running back position, you know, looking at uh, at Tatum versus the other running backs. And then we looked at Brian Jackson versus some of the other running backs and then went over, you know, talking about safeties with the two Texas safeties and how they uh, stack up next to each other. How do you stack up Elijah Brown versus Dylan Riola from from what you've seen the past two years? It's interesting with Elijah Brown because I was actually talking to five stars only Jared about this and, you know, we're watching them warm up. And, you know, Eliza Brown just doesn't like pop off the when you look at him. You know, he's not the biggest quarterback out there. You know, like Julian Sands, like pushing six foot three at this point, I think he's like six foot two. His legs are like built like his leg muscles were popping out there you could just tell he looked different physically Elijah Brown does, six three now he looked like he was bigger maybe not six three I, I may i may be uh jumping the gun there but he looked much bigger than the last time i had seen him well he sprouted uh, he's, he's definitely sprouted some then huh? yeah he's six foot one i would say he's like on the closer end of six foot two sorry six foot three uh is a little bit uh much for me but he just looked bigger than the last time i had seen him personally up close but what I'm saying is Elijah Brown, you know, doesn't jump off the page physically. But when you look at his body of work, I mean, he has started at modern day since he was a freshman. He's won something like, what, two CF titles, like a couple national titles. And he's shredded up the toughest core, uh, excuse me, the toughest high school league in the country in the Trinity League dominated there. So it's like, he has this body of work where you look at it, what he's doing in the Trinity League, and it's like, yeah, this guy is a stud. But I just, I, I just think he's sort of a a prospect where he, the the QB camps and the QB drills, that's not really for him. What's really for him is like an football. actual game, you know, an actual game, football, yeah, football, yeah. like in the huddle, 
pressure moments. You know, he's the babyface assassin. He never gets rattled. You know, he's not going to wow you with his arm down the field or running ability, but he just gets it done and he makes plays. But he's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. He's not the most physically chiseled quarterback. He just he just looks like a, a guy out there. If you didn't know who he was, but he's got two natties, got multiple CI championships. He's put on uh, undefeated records at one of the most storied high schools in the country. He just has this resume, but he doesn't match the resume when you look at him. So it's just an interesting dynamic when you compare it to Raiola, who's like, you know, this big gunslinger. You go out and watch him. They're They're very different in that regard. Number one overall prospect, you know. Brown is a four-star prospect, but it's just two very different quarterbacks on paper. One has the, I'm not saying Dylan Rayola doesn't have like the numbers or whatever, but Elijah Brown has like the quarterback resume. You know, he has the championships. He has the team success. He has, now some of that is, you know, he plays at modern day, a powerhouse, and he have a lot of weapons around him to help him. Would he look the same if you put him at, I don't know, Long Beach Poly or Warren High School or Downey High School? No, I don't think so. I still think he would find ways to win, but I don't. he would not be highly touted as he is right now. But I think that's a different case with Dylan Raiola. If you put him on those same teams, would he have a better success in leading like a Long Beach Poly or Warren? You know, teams that don't necessarily get all the Division One talent. I shouldn't say Long Beach Poly, but... You know what I'm saying, like a, a non-Trinity League school in, in that regard. Yeah, you, you're you, – no, and I think you're hitting the nail on the head in, in many regards in terms of that type of matchup when you're looking versus. And certainly I agree with you. You know, what Elijah brings to the table is almost what you don't see. It's a lot of the intangibles. I mean, the fact that modern day could put a freshman back there and feel confident, mm-hmm. you know, after Bryce Young, you know, one of the most successful quarterbacks, uh, a Heisman Trophy winner, uh, a guy that, um, you know, w- was breaking records and doing a lot of amazing things and quite different of a quarterback than Elijah Brown as well. It tells you a lot about Elijah Brown and his disposition. You know, it's a lot about composure. It's a lot about uh, the smarts at the position. Um, not making mistakes despite being very young when he took over and being able to be successful and being able to be a leader. So those are things that are hard to gauge and they're hard to measure. Uh, what's very measurable is arm strength. What's measurable is how tall you are and how fast you are, right? And so those are the the areas where everybody looks and looks at other guys and go, well, this guy's you know better in this area, better in that area, better in that area. Um, Elijah Brown is interesting. I think if, you know, he was a a bit more uh, athletic and and more of a runner, then you can make the argument certainly, okay, he fits the style of offense that USC runs right now, maybe better than Dylan Rayola. But the truth is he's not really a a runner. He does run the ball a bit and he can run the ball a bit. They do uh, have a little bit of read option there at modern day and he has uh, some running touchdowns under his belt. Kind of like Malachi? Kind of like Malachi. Probably better off than Malachi, to be honest okay. with you. I think Malachi is probably faster, but I think a little bit more of a skill finesse player 
Whereas Elijah, despite being the baby face assassin, which I think is a very good nickname for him because he does look like a kid, you know, he's, he's not <laughs> one of these guys that comes in and he looks like he's 28 years old. Uh, he's a, he's a kid. He's, he looks like a high school kid still. Um, but he's the tough guy. I mean, he's a tough kid. The interesting debate with, you know, he's playing at modern day and he's got all these good players around him. That was sort of what people said a little bit about Bryce Young. Like, okay, but when he's not playing behind that great offensive line, what does he look like? Well, he went to Alabama. He played against him behind a great offensive line at Alabama. So it was like, well, we don't have to see what that looks like. And certainly with USC, they're trying to develop an offensive line where um, that's not necessarily a question that people ask. Uh, but certainly right now, people are going to say that about Elijah Brown, just like they did about Bryce Young. Okay, all those good players that play around him, how does he look when he doesn't have those great players around him? Well, Elijah Brown's going to try to go to a school where he does have great players around him, even at college, and that's not necessarily going to be a, a big issue. And, and one of the things that he brings to the table is that he's able to get the ball to all those different players, and he's able to play within on offense and manage an offense and uh, be able to not make mistakes and be able to move the team down the field uh, methodically. And so there are, you know, a lot of pluses to that. And I think, again, like you said, in the combine slash camp uh, environment, um, that setting is not the best setting for him. He's not going to be that guy that's going to wow you uh, with uh, the velocity of his passes or, you know, anything in particular. Uh, he does a lot of things well, uh, but nothing great. And physically, you know, he's not just, you know, this this big strapping young lad like Dylan Riolo, who looks like a linebacker. I mean, Dylan yeah. Riolo is, looks, looks like a linebacker. He's 6'2", 6'3". He's 220, 225 pounds, and um, he's a big guy. And so um, it's very interesting, you know, seeing the dynamic. And then you could throw the other guy that USC is is, is recruited, and DJ Lagway, into that conversation and, and sort of what he brings to the table and how he looks. And again, that's another guy that looks different than all three of those guys. I mean, every one of these quarterbacks, it's interesting that USC has offered those three quarterbacks because they are quite a bit different from each other. You know, Lagway's the raw one. Lagway's the the long-armed, high-cut, can run the ball, really good athlete, but not necessarily super accurate with his passes, doesn't have the touch yet. Uh, doesn't have sort of the nuances to his game as a passer, but again, brings you this guy who can run at 60 yards and break a big play and, and actually run the ball by design and give you sort of that Jalen Hurts, Caleb Williams aspect to your offense, which is huge in college, right? It's And, and, and then the aspect of being able to scramble and get away from negative plays, which might be even bigger. You know, I think every college offense has been very successful over the years, um, you know, maybe minus Georgia, you know, being the only one that really had a quarterback that can make something out of nothing and get away from a lot of negative plays. And so, um, you know, I think, you know, Lagway certainly has that ability. Elijah Brown has a little bit of that ability as well. Um, you know, Riola, we haven't, we just haven't seen a lot of that now. I, that's not to say that Riola doesn't extend plays really well because he does. He does get out of the pocket a lot and he's got tremendous arm strength. I mean, you watch him, sometimes he's completely off his base and he could chuck that ball and get it into places and just like, what? What was that pass? Like, that was a total no, no, no. Don't throw that ball. 
oh my gosh, what a beautiful, what a beautiful pass with beautiful placement. Like how did that happen? So he is definitely special in that regard. And I see why, you know, he's number one. Again, it's really, you know, rankings in a bubble in a vacuum, if you will, and sort of just looking at the, the, the player and the ball and what he does on film in high school. But then you have to transition that to, okay, but now we need to put him into this offense and see how he works in this offense and, you know, what's been successful with this offense in the past and how that's got to change. And then that sort of changes your opinion on, you know, what that quarterback is able to do. So yeah, it's absolutely uh, intriguing to me. You know, I, I probably said interesting 10 times in this segment because there's various different aspects of this and the approach that USC has had, you know, going all in on Dylan Riola. You're our guy. We're not recruiting anybody else. We won't even talk to Julian Sand. Julian Sand wants to come on campus and meet with Lincoln Riley. Sorry, we're recruiting Dylan Riola. Like that happened, according to sources, that USC was at that point with Dylan Riola last year at this time where they were like, yeah, we really, we're not going to really meet or have any unofficial visits or one-on-one time with any quarterbacks. Because Dylan Riola is our guy. And then, boom, he goes to Ohio State. And it's like, oh, ooh, that's ooh, that wasn't a good read. But now we come full circle. And then Dylan Riola is back. And USC looks like the leader again. We talked about this last week. You know, George is there. And, and Georgia has, has some momentum. But they don't seem to be the leader at this point. Like, there's not the same, um, you know, coming away from that Ohio State visit last year it was pretty evident from people we were talking to, like, whoa, Ohio State made a big move for him. And at this point, he's now – sounds like he's going to cancel his return trip to USC, go back to Ohio State. It, it, this is happening all very quickly, and it's all looking like Ohio State. That's not what happened with that Georgia visit, you know. So that's good news for USC is it, basically no news. Now, you know, he's going to be at the Elite 11 Regional up at Oregon. Dylan Riola was not there at the regional in LA. So, you know, this is going to continue, you know, Oregon's going to make their pitch. They're going to be involved with him uh, as well as, you know, Georgia's not going to go away. And so, you know, this is, you know, not the end obviously here uh, for, for any of these quarterbacks, but the end is near, you know, the end is nigh. It's going to probably come down to summer visits and uh, we're going to see, it's going to be some musical chairs going on and, you know, USC just doesn't want to be, in the place they were last year <laughs> with uh, with uh, Dylan Riola. I, I think that's pretty much what you could say. It does help that uh, while he was committed to Ohio State, Lincoln Riley went out and won another Heisman. It does help. It certainly helps. It, it definitely, I mean, it's the whole proof of concept. You know, if you had any questions, if you're Dylan Riola about what Lincoln Riley was actually going to be able to do at USC, how fast he was going to be able to do it at USC, you know, Less questions, certainly, than, you know, there have been on defense. But you could still question that, say, hey, man, you know, this is going to take a while. And, you know, Oklahoma, very different program. USC has has really been irrelevant for a good six, seven years at this point. And and quite frankly, even before that, you know, if you're looking at the, the consistent national relevancy and being in the top 10 year in and year out, I mean, you got to go back to the Pete Carroll era. And then we're talking like 15, 20 years now. So, yeah, I mean, it, it stands the reason you could still say, okay, you know, Ohio State, they're, they're popping guys into the NFL left and right. It's a very pro-based sort of football factory, right? You know, I mean, I know that's a negative connotation for a lot of people. That it's a football factory because it implies that, you know, the kids are not getting education, what have you. But 
I mean, that's that's sort of the the fast track, you know, NFL wise. Like that's a program that has shown, hey, you know, we're in the college football playoff year in and year out. It's serious business, and uh, and we're developing guys to go to the next level. That's what we do here at Ohio State, right? That's what they do at Alabama. Okay, that's what they do at Georgia. And Dylan Riola, you know, dad played in the NFL. There's definitely awareness for that and looking for that. And so I think, you know, with USC going through this transition and USC's uh, just, in, I think, inherently much different than, than those schools. And this is sort of a war room thing that we talked about, but kind of trying to battle against the, you know, you've got to have this sort of strict college town, no distractions to get to the NFL versus hey, you can have fun in college and you can enjoy your time in college and still go to the NFL and still be a first round pick. And that was something that Pete Carroll had to sort of battle initially when he was recruiting at USC. And, and certainly the approach of Pete Carroll and Lincoln Riley is vastly different, you know, philosophically how they run their programs. But there's still this feel of like, you know, this is, it's LA. There's a lot of stuff going on that you can do. Uh, you can sort of, you know, get outside of the, 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 just, I'm a football player thing and, and sort of discover yourself as a person a little bit for life after football. And, you know, there's certain people in certain circles that are like, well, you know what, that's not how you get to the NFL. That's not how you do things. You've got to go to the SEC. You've got to go to a small college town where all they do is eat and breathe football. And when you go out and, and people are just going to ask you about football, it's football, 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 football. And that's what it's all about. Football, by the way, football. So you know, you're, you're sort of going against uh, maybe that sort of thought process um, from people and, um, and, you know, for USC, that's obviously not necessarily um, what they bring to the table, you know, the factors that are, are selling you on USC. So that's, that's something, you know, talking about Dylan Riola, uh, that's different. Obviously with Elijah Brown being a local player, you know, he, I, I feel like, he has a little different approach, not totally different approach. You know, he's a pretty low key guy. Um, definitely has the quarterback vibe, uh, but he's 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 pretty quiet kid, and mm-hmm, I think he's mm-hmm. very business oriented too. I actually out of that group, I think DJ Lagway was a little more like carefree and you know just a kid. And I don't know, you didn't you didn't you, you got you know he's a football player, he's an athlete, but not necessarily like the polished sort of you know talking about schools and talking about life after football and talking about getting the NFL and development, you know, obviously Dylan Riola and Elijah Brown, those guys are, are sort of plugged in and, and they've been, um, you know, brought along with that sort of mindset over the years. Um, whereas Lagway again, and, and being the more raw of the three, uh, was a little more like, Hey, you know, I'm just having fun. And I'm, you know, I want to go to a school that I feel good. And who knows? I mean, you know, we could get to this point, Dylan Riola again, rejects USC. And it's like, okay, at this point, hello, uh, and and Elijah Brown's there, and then all of a sudden, somewhere along the line, DJ Lagway uh, decommits, and you know, <laughs> we're talking about DJ Lagway again. It, it, you know, we don't we don't know, man. This is this is a weird time for recruiting with NIL and transfer portals and everything else. We just have to set the table early. We just have to set the table early. What dishes will be on the table? I do not know. I do not know, Gerard. One other other interesting little uh, tidbit from the Elite 11 that we don't really have to talk about, but I just wanted to mention it because it was interesting. For the first time, they had female quarterbacks at the event. You know, you, uh, CIF recently announced that they're going to have uh, female flag football. That's going to be a CIF sport. So Elite 11 was expanding. They had uh, like close to a dozen 
female quarterbacks slinging the pill, doing the same thing that other guys were doing just in the different circuit. And then they would come and do one-on-ones. And I would say that there were some impressive female wide receivers, some that were running routes better than some of the guys that were in attendance. And yeah, that's all I'm saying. Like get some girl wide receivers out there for some of the guys. Cause those, some of those girls were running some really good routes. So just seeing the, uh, the sport expand a little bit. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't think I've ever seen a female wide receiver in high school football. I, it's mostly been kickers. Kicker. Yeah. A couple of linemen, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, but I don't think I've ever seen any wide receivers on a high school football team that were actually uh, out there playing. Yeah, so it's definitely interesting to see. And now that they have girl quarterbacks at the Elite 11, imagine going to the Elite 11 and like meeting your future girlfriend. That can happen. That can literally happen. You, me? Are you talking to me personally? No, I just mean like in general. For, for these young quarterbacks, they can meet their girlfriend, their future wife at the Elite 11, throw in. Is going to walk in here to my garage and say, please have a seat? I'm always oh, sitting down first. I'm, uh, I'm moving on forcefully <laughs> to our final topic, which is new NCAA recruiting guidelines calendar. They're moving forward with a – it's not official, right? It's like a proposal – this is yeah. We're talking yeah. about um, hypothetical, introduced, kind of, yeah, sort of, not hypothetical, but things that are on the docket that they're going to vote on. Um, and some of these things, it looks like they're going to pass for sure. And then there are other things that uh, the committee is still uh, basically talking about, and um, they're going back and forth over uh, whether they want to introduce additional rules. And we can talk about you know really one major addition to what they talked about that, you know, is still kind of up in the air, whether they would do it or not. Yeah. And some of the things here bullet pointed are less evaluation days for the coaches, but they can have earlier contact with sophomores and they can have more in-person contact with juniors. There are no analysts recruiting on the road. And then there is uh, still going to be an early signing day. It doesn't seem like they're moving that. What is the most interesting one to you, Gerard? Well, it's, you know, it's moving up the calendar in terms of contact periods for sophomores and juniors. Um, and there are some specific dates as to, you know, you, you can't talk to a junior before September 1st. Um, Whereas now you could bump it up, you know, until uh, I think it's like June. Um, so some of it is, is, is a little incremental and it is expanding the amount of overlap that you're going to have in terms of being able to seriously recruit uh, underclassmen. So like on one hand, the way I'm reading it is like there's less official evaluation days, less days in spring. So the evaluation uh, period that goes on in May, which is really from like April 15th to the end of May, they will shorten that by a few days, not by much, really by like a, a week or two. And then in fall, uh, shorten some of the evaluation days that they have. Although again, most schools only use evaluation days in fall, like maybe here and there for some local players uh, when you're playing at home. So if you're USC, maybe you'll have somebody go down to the modern day game or you have somebody go down um, to a Narbonne game, Long Beach Poly game, one of your assistant coaches, you know, usually it's not a whole lot of coaches that are hitting the road during those days, unless it's an actual bye week So again, 
that's a little bit of nothing to do with nothing. I, I don't think it's saving the time of coaches a, a whole lot. I mean, certainly, like I said, when you're expanding uh, where you can talk to sophomores even earlier and juniors earlier, then, you know, you're spending more time doing that as well. So the workload does actually increase to some extent. I think the most interesting aspect of this calendar, which has been proposed, is introducing in-home visits potentially during the season. So they want to expand that mm-hmm. window of in-home visits, which right now is only for uh, your your seniors. And that's like in December. It's basically late November into December. And so it's a very small window and everybody's jockeying to try to get, you know, that last in-home visit. They want to be the last one to to be in that, that, that kid's ear. And, and certainly you have those official visits, which are also, you know, there's some jockeying going on to try to get the last official visit. But the official visits always happen during the weekend um, in, in most situations because that's when the kids are not in school. So the in-home visits are the ones where, you know, the the, the coaching staff goes in. And they're able to get that time with the family. And that can happen, you know, at night during the weekend or it can happen at night during the week. And the, co- the head coach gets one of uh, in-home visit uh, during the cycle. And so that's always a big deal. When is the head coach actually going to go in? And is he going to be the last to go in or is he going to be the first to go in? You know, that's always a question mark as well. But now they're talking about you're able to actually have in-home visits during the season, which is just interesting. I, I-, I don't know how that's going to change things because certainly, you know, I, I would think most schools would want to still push those back into the end and they want to be the last ones to be able to talk to a recruit. But you also now have the option of potentially closing down a recruitment earlier in the process. You get that uh, official visit during the summer and then at some point, September, October, head coach says, you know what, I think we can close a deal on this kid right now. So let's not wait. Let's go in home and let's get our in-home visit. Now, in-home visits for the assistant coaches can be much more spread out. Uh, in-home visits for assistant coaches right now are actually you almost get every week uh, an assistant coach will go in and home. So in that like three or four weeks that you have at the present date, you'll have the position coach go in with those kids uh, every week, you know, going in and, and talking to them. I don't know if that would be the case if they expanded the window for official visits all the way from like September to December, probably not because that would be ridiculous that, you know, you would have to have an in-home visit with like all these kids on your board every week, like you do. So it might be one of those things where the allotted amount of visits might be, you know, the same as it is now. It's just going to be more over a spread uh, out period of time. And again, the head coach being able to make one visit at that point. So, you know, it's it, that's to me the most interesting part of this. Now, you did kind of gloss over something, but this is the one thing that they have not really talked about or, or agreed about and still being discussed whether they want to allow analysts to be able to recruit on the road. That would be very big. That would, um, it would, it would full on increase the arms race of support staff members. And so like bookie could recruit on the road. Exactly. It would still be a certain amount of coaches that you could have on the road at one time, but it would expand to full-time staff that would be support staff. And, you know, obviously there are coaches that are, you know, the assistant coaches right now 
which are the full-time position coaches and the head coach, those are the only coaches that can be on the road unless there's a waiver for one of those coaches. Like one year you had um, John Baxter had knee surgery. So Gavin Morris, who was the development, uh, he was the personnel director of development, personal development, something like that. At that point, he held that title on the support staff, ended up being on the road recruiting for USC because John Baxter had a waiver. He couldn't go out on the road because he had knee surgery. Um, so you had those you know, instances, but this would be full on. We're just sending our young guys, our, our guys that are on the analyst staff that are just recruiters. And, and this is kind of what would happen. It was it would be very bent towards getting guys that are just recruiters and putting recruiters on the staff and having them basically like NFL scouts where they would go around and they would do a bunch of the evaluations. And this is mainly for just the evaluation process. I don't think, I mean, there's going to be some contact that would happen there, but it's not going to be, um, you know, so much for like in-home visits and what have you, at least how I'm reading it right now in terms of how that the, it would be introduced in this bill. Uh, it's more towards the, just the evaluation periods, having a scout staff basically going out for the May period and then going out during the fall and actually seeing kids in person and um, and then coming back and, and, and obviously, you know, giving that information to the full-time staff and the position coaches that were not out there on the road. And, and certainly there would still be guys that would want to be on the road that are assistant coaches that are position coaches. Um, but then there's guys that probably wouldn't be. And then, and, you know, your coordinators are probably be the first that you would see not going on the road a whole lot. Um, so, I mean, this is dude, this is what Clancy Pendergast has been looking forward to his whole <laughs> college coaching career. You know, guys like Ronnie Bradford, like they don't have to even go out and recruit and do all the evaluation and all that nonsense. They can just save it for, you know, when kids come on campus or, or maybe, you know, the, the in-home visits. That's where you basically are, are sitting down with your position coaches and talking with them. So that's that would be a load off of the position coaches. Um you know, over the years, and um, uh, certainly uh, would be kind of a big deal in terms of a, a, a time saver and just less work for them. I mean, because right now it's it's just 365 days, you know, recruiting. There is sort of a dead period. Really, the only true dead period for recruiting at this point is uh, at the end of summer. But, you know, that's when all these guys are, are actually committing now. You know, it's July uh, going into August. And so, you know, is it really a dead period <laughs> when you're like, you have to kind of wait around and you still have to try to try to stay in some type of contact with these guys. You can't have them on campus, but you're still trying to continue to have some type of communication. Um, you know, it, it, it's just a lot going on with recruiting these days. And then you enter uh, the transfer portal and having to keep a track of all these college players now and where they are and guys you recruited in high school that went somewhere else, but maybe they're not happy. And, you're starting to hear a little bit about, yeah, you know, he might jump in the portal. And now, you know, all of a sudden you have to be ready for that. So, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe maybe uh, we'll see, you know, a big change in terms of the personnel that can actually get on the road and recruit. Um, that, I think, out of all of this would be the biggest impact in, in terms of college football recruiting. We talk about at the top of the show, we cover four, five, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I would categorize that topic as everything in between, and we'll keep it up to date as more developments come with those uh, measures being introduced and voted on in the, in the future. Gerard, I think it's time we move into our final segment, which is listener questions. If you want to send us a question to get read on the podcast, you can email us at podcast.usfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite 
two-star recruits, Chris and Gerard recruiting podcast, cilantro boys, whatever you choose. And that'll go to my inbox. Gerard, we have three questions today. One of them actually isn't a question. So I'm going to start with that. It's from <laughs> coach B who, uh, he says for, who last week actually sent us Oscar Trevino, a two-star edge rusher in the 2024 class and asking about USC's involvement with him. And if he ends up on the roster, maybe as a preferred walk-on, USC would have a Oscar Trevino, a two-star signee, and he would be probably the face of the two-star podcast. So he comes back, because I think you mentioned something about a Gerard Martinez, a prospect named Gerard Martinez. He says, what's up, my dudes? Dudes, ask and you shall receive, receive-er, Gerard Martinez. He found a prospect that was in the system, and I've discovered that this is the the player that gets tagged with your name every time I add the tags, uh, not manually, so automatically. So as I can see with his his uh, page, it's a bunch of the composite two star recruit stories uh, being with your name tagged. He is a receiver from the 2011 class from Miami, Florida, that actually played at Notre Dame. So there is a Gerard Martinez that was a one-time prospect, ended up at Notre Dame. So looking forward to hearing updates about future Trojan Oscar Trevino. Two-star collective question mark. Thank you, Coach B. Gerard, any re- any re- reaction to that? Uh, no, I knew that. Uh, yeah. Oh, you did? I've come across that before. And yeah, I mean, hopefully if that ever gets linked, people don't think that I played at Notre Dame as a walk-on. I did not. <laughs> I'm not from Miami either. But uh, yeah, that uh, that's happened, and there's uh, there's even uh, I think Ryan Abraham in there uh, that gets linked as well, and I know Ryan didn't play college football, so just one of those weird things, uh, one of those happenstances. I think that's Gerard Martinez Jr. So I will also say, not my son. Your your offspring, possibly. Yeah, not related. Uh, next question, Jack from West Texas. Hi guys, love the show and listen to it every week. I have been a USC fan since living in Los Angeles as a kid, and I love the direction the program is heading. I want to ask about some recruits in the 2024 class. Can you give us a breakdown of the recruitments of DeAndre Carter, Brandon Baker, T.A. Cunningham, Justin Scott, and Aiden Breland? All of those recruits, of also of those recruits, what is your confidence level that USC will be able to land each of them? Thanks, Jack from West Texas. So... We have three of those guys play at modern day. DeAndre Carter, who is an offensive guard. Brandon Baker, who is an offensive tackle. Probably one of their top three targets for the 2024 class. The number one offensive tackle in the 24-7 sports updated rankings. And then Aiden Breland is a defensive lineman, four-star defensive lineman out of modern day as well. With those three, I would probably say DeAndre Carter, Brandon Baker, and then Aiden Breland in terms of my confidence. I have felt that USC has been sort of the favorite for DeAndre Carter for quite some time. Brandon Baker, USC was up there, Oregon was battling, but USC has been picking up momentum with Brandon Baker, with Oregon's offensive line coach departing. So USC has taken advantage of that and moved up. So I feel like they're in a really good position for both of those guys. Aiden Breland, I would say less so 
it seems like they're still sort they have their hierarchy for their defensive line board. And it seems like to be with more of the national guys like a Justin Scott. That's why we get a lot of questions about like a T.A. Cunningham, who seemed to be a priority early, but it seems like he's maybe fallen into that second tier group. And he seems to be taking visits to everywhere around the country but USC. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think he struggled last year when he transferred to Los Alamitos when he was on the field. He didn't produce or play to the level I I expected him to play at, uh, seeing as he's, you know, a big defensive lineman out of Georgia, you know, coming to California. I didn't, he didn't uh, jump out as much as I thought he would. So maybe the coaches are still trying to see, you know, if it turns on for him out here in California in terms of his play on the field. But I would say Justin Scott is definitely higher up on the board and, you know, they're, they're in there. I wouldn't say that they're a top, top on that short, short list, but they're definitely involved with him. And it was a good sign that they, he, uh, delayed his commitment for for more time. Yeah, and I would concur with you on, on just about every one of those points. I think DeAndre Carter, high interest in USC, USC's top three. Brandon Baker, I think now high interest in USC, certainly since you've seen some movement with the Oregon Ducks coaching staff. He has a connection there with his brother, but I think uh, they've slipped a little bit because of that, and USC has taken advantage of that a lot. So I think with those two players, Definitely high interest in USC. With Aiden Breland, it's really a question mark of just how much does he really like football? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's very quiet, doesn't take a lot of visits, hasn't been to USC a whole lot. Um, it's just hard to read him, like, you know, what's going on with his recruitment. He's one of those guys that's just uh, a little bit aloof, I think, with the process. And, yeah, USC hasn't necessarily really, like, pushed hard to figure him out either. And so – He's a he's an interesting player because he was out of the box, you know, 6'4, 6'5, 280 pounds, and he was like a freshman going on to be a sophomore. He was a winter circle kid that you know everybody was really like excited about. Uh goes to modern day and um and kind of was quiet for a little bit, had a good year last year though, and mm-hmm, dropped mm-hmm. some weight and kind of looked like a guy that wanted to be more of like a defensive end than an interior guy. So that's still a little bit of a, you know, okay, you know, what position are you really trying to play? Are you continuing to try to, like, lose some weight to be more of a defensive end? Or are you going to embrace that inner Bubba and be the guy that uh, you were intended to be at 290, 300 pounds and be a three technique? So I agree with you. That one's a little more up in the air, sort of like medium interest in USC, just because USC is one of several schools. Uh, that are involved with him, but he doesn't seem to be really favoring any one particular school. Uh, I think with T.A. Cunningham, exactly what you said, he was underwhelming last year, you know, has a great tool set physically, but just didn't look like he had the it factor. Um, And it just took him a long time to acclimate. He was playing on a fairly talented team uh, against some teams that weren't always all that talented, uh, at least when he got there. I mean, he didn't play. Uh, against American Heritage, he didn't play in that early schedule out of league uh, for Los Alamitos. He had to sit out out of he transferred. But once he was playing in the league, you know, Los Al kind of dominates that league to, to the most extent. And um, T.A. Cunningham was not dominant. And that was kind of surprising. And so, you know, again, a 6'5", you know, 295 pound kid, long arms. So you see where people were excited about him. But, you know, the, the quickness and the, the physicality, 
uh, the violence at the point of attack. You know, none of those things really jumped off at you when you saw him play in person. And so, you know, that's a little bit up in the air as to, okay, you know, what, what maybe, you know, where is his head? Um, you know, is he, is he doing things in the off season to, to continue to progress? Um, just seems like he's another guy for USC right now. And uh, like you've mentioned, hasn't been to USC a whole lot lately, uh, but he's also kind of just been around going on different um, unofficial visits and, and looking at a bunch of other schools. So uh, we'll see how that pans out. Justin Scott took that unofficial visit to USC last year. And, um, you know, it, it definitely moved the needle a bit for him. But then he was ready to make that decision, and it wasn't going to be USC. He was going to go to Notre Dame. He put the brakes on that, and Alabama came in, offered. He's gotten some offers from the SEC, and now I think he's looking at those SEC schools. You know, maybe if USC can get an official visit, uh, they can sort of, you know, try to get some momentum back with him. But right now, I, I think he's teetering on medium to low interest. I don't think USC is uh, really among the lead pack for him, but not out of it yet either. And the final questions comes from Andrew A. Hey guys, thanks as always. Couple questions. Let's start with the first one, Gerard. Of the following summer enrollees, would love to get your assessment on if you think any of these guys will contribute this year and maybe a quick breakdown of their respective games. One, Braylon Shelby. Two, Dejan Lafatite. Three, Elijah Hughes, and four, David Peavy. That's the first question. Well, I absolutely think Braylon Shelby is going to contribute in some fashion. I actually think David Peavy will also find his way into the field. Maybe that's a special teams kind of deal late in the year. The defensive linemen, you know, Elijah Hughes, Dejan Lafatite, those are tough to break in with the defensive front for reasons that we've talked about. You know, it's tough to make the jump from high school defensive line, offensive line to college defensive line, defensive line. You're going, you're going from being a man against boys uh, at your respective high school to playing against grown men. So it's just really hard to make that jump. So I would put Braylon Shelby and David Peavy as the two guys who had the best chance to make an impact. I won't count out Elijah Hughes just from a rush end position, but that is a very deep group, especially with Braylon Shelby and David Peavy set to join that rush end group. We'll have to see what Elijah Hughes starts playing out, if that's defensive end or rush end, see what they do with him. But I think David Peavy and Braylon Shelby are the two off that list who I would say have the best chance of playing this year, especially Shelby for me. I know Gerard is a big Shelby Shelby guy. Yeah, if you listen to the podcast, we've talked about Braylon Shelby kind of being a, a special player out of that class defensively. And I don't really – change my opinion on that now Chris has seen more of the team recently and just in terms of bodies obviously we're not getting to see a lot of practice in terms of competitive periods but you know you do get to see guys and how they're developing physically and you know who might be lining up where and 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 going first and getting more reps and, and maybe getting a little more time um, just in initial parts of practices that you get a feel like, okay, you know, they're liking this guy a little more and, and he's kind of moved up the food chain uh, uh, in terms of the depth chart. But I think just from, you know, looking, uh, kind of projecting still, I mean, Braden Shelby's not on campus. Uh, none of these guys are on campus right now. Um, I think, you know, Shelby is still the guy that has uh, the uniqueness of, of being able to have the athleticism of a linebacker, but the, the height and length, uh, of, of a guy who can play on the edge and, and legitimately be 
a guy who could set the edge. And so um, he certainly got some, you know, sort of je ne sais quoi in terms of uh, being a guy that can play the RPO really well uh, as a linebacker, but the, the size of a guy that's a, it's a defensive end. Um, I think with, you know, Lafitte, that's an interesting guy because he's one of the only guys that has the size, you know, to, to maybe play right away. You he know, was he at practice a- Tuesday, and I will say he looked a little bigger from the last time I saw him, like at a, a fall game or whatever. He looked a little bit bigger, I will yeah, say. He, he's a solid, you know, 280 to, two, to 290, and, and whereas you look at Elijah Hughes or Sam Green, um, smaller guys, uh, a, a tad more of guys that, you know, you're going to start outside, or at least, you know, that's the, the, the fork in the road that USC has taken with Sam Green. You know, they've, they've, he's dropped weight. <laughs> he's not 255 anymore. He's 240 and they're playing him as a rush in. There's a lot of rush ins, you know, that's the one thing that, you know, USC has got to figure out, you know, who, who are going to be some of our interior guys, because that's where they need some talent. They just don't have guys uh, that are really difference makers on the inside. And when you hear about, Anthony Lucas now playing more on the on the rush end and wanting to drop more weight so he can play that rush end outside linebacker spot. You kind of roll your eyes and go, okay, so we just gonna you know gonna line up four guys that are gonna be rush ends and stand them all up and and do that sort of thing. Like you know, I I don't know you know what the end game is gonna look like with that when you've got so many guys uh, that are that are defensive rush ends and you don't have any guys that are actual interior guys. So, um, you know, Elijah Hughes, I, I, I think, you know, he kind of has to start probably uh, on the exterior, but will eventually move in the interior. I, I kind of feel that's going to eventually happen with Sam Green as well. You know, we'll, we'll see um, how that goes. Obviously, he, he doesn't have the frame quite, you know, like Elijah Hughes does. Elijah Hughes is a little longer. Um, so, you know, you, could, you maybe put more weight on him than Sam Green. But in terms of play style, Sam Green is a little bit more of a phone booth quick sort of guy that that is able to make those plays um, rather than a guy that's a real pursuit and rusher guy, at least from what I've seen from him. Um, so, you know, the development of him going forward physically is, is, is going to be something that we have to watch. But with Lafitte, you're getting a guy that is a true interior guy. So the fact that these guys that come in that we like and say, OK, you know, Anthony Lucas potential three technique yeah you know he's 275 he's got to get to more like 285 and then we hear no he's more like 265 and he wants to get even smaller well that just opens the door more for a guy like Dejan Lafitte you know and, and if you're competing against Stanley Taafu and you're competing against Tyrone Talele and you're competing against these guys that were ex you know 245 pound linebackers in high school well, you know, Dejan Lafitte's looking better and better as a guy that could, could make an impact early because he's a true he's, – he's he's he has the ability and the physicality to be able to play on the interior and, and win some of those wars. You know, he's quick. Um, he's not necessarily quite as long and as lean and as uh, consistent uh, from a pass rush standpoint on the interior – uh, as you would say, a, a guy that you would think make an instant impact and, and, and be one of those dudes, you go, okay, this is a the day one starter type of freshman. Um, but he he is athletic enough that, you know, he moved around, played defensive end, played a little bit of tight end uh, for Colony High School in Ontario, and, and does have a little bit of athleticism. So, you know, he is interesting it, just because by default, there's so many guys that they're moving and they're putting at rush end. Everybody's going to play rush end. And okay, well, I mean, he's one of like, you know, a handful of guys now that is actually going to be on the interior. So that that is something to say about Deshaun Lafitte. 
and the potential of him playing as a true freshman. Speaking of which, Lincoln Riley did say Devin Tompkins has been mixing in and out at end and at the three technique. They're just kind of playing with him with the three technique maybe being what his body grows into. They're not sure yet. They don't know what it's going to look like. So, But he is playing a little bit of three technique. So just a little bit of update with uh, our boy Devin Tompkins. Yeah, I mean, they're they're now listing him at I think two sixty, which you know lists weights. Uh, after we had our little tidbit on Anthony Lucas, you know, it's kind of a like okay, whatever. But um, nevertheless, we've seen him in person. It's probably last year he's probably two fifty, right? I mean, I think we saw him last summer. And we're like, guy is probably two fifty at least at this point. So now they're recognizing that he has actually grown and he's not you know whatever two twenty five or whatever they were listing him at. Um, you know, it'll be a, a legit three technique. Uh, you're probably got to be in that 275 range at the very least. You know, you want to be in that 280 range nowadays in college football. So, you know, I, I have not seen him lately. You have. I don't know that he's that big. I mean, does he look kind of like he's basically what he was last year? Or, or does he look like he's actually even gained even more weight? Has he made a, a big jump physically this uh, this spring, this offseason? I wouldn't say he's like clear as day looked like he's I think he's added some weight, I, but it, it's not like the big jump of saying yeah, he was at like 260 to like 280. Yeah. You know, it's not that I, I would say it's a it's a more slow, gr- gradual gaining of weight uh, this time around. So we'll, I think next year will be the one where we see, oh, does he go to is he at that 275 range? Is he in that 280 range? I think that's going to be the year. But, you know, I hope we can get some playing time, even if it is just an end or maybe a little bit of mixing up. At that that three tech, but he's he's so big, so long, such a great frame. Excited to see what it turns into, and hopefully he can play this year. Question two from Andrew: Do you anticipate any more quote unquote analysts added to the staff for this season? I wouldn't be shocked if there was any more uh, senior defensive analysts or anything like that added. But right now, I'll say no. I do not anticipate any more analysts. I do. I do anticipate a, at least one, maybe two more, actually. And okay. certainly if, you know, the NCAA decides that they're going to allow analysts to go out and do evaluations, you're going to see that change dramatically. And, you know, schools are going to have to invest completely in that. And it's going to kind of change support staff a bit. You're not going to be able to have too many people on the support staff that are it's going to be interesting to see how much that they're going to be able to recruit, I guess, in that, in that instance, because if it's just pure evaluation and they're like, okay, we're going to allow analysts to go out for May evaluations. We're going to allow analysts to go out during the fall and they're going to get such and such amount of days that they can be on the road, but there's no contact. Like you're not allowed to even talk to kids. Then you're kind of looking at a different type of person that you might want on the road. That's, that's actually doing your evaluations. But if it's open like it is now to where you can, you know, bump into a player and say hi to a player, wink, wink, nod, nod, not have like an in-home visit with them, um, then you're going to have to have guys that, that, that can get it done recruiting-wise. You're going to have to have personalities. You're going to have to have your Armand Hawkins and your, your Buki Rattlers and your these type of guys that can actually recruit for you. And it's going to be important to, to stock your uh, support staff with those people, you know, Gavin Morris's guys that can actually, you know, get their foot in the door and get in guys' ears, make a difference, and get them to come visit you back on campus uh, to to talk to your position coaches and your head coach and be able to continue the process that way. So 
Um, that's going to change, you know, the the support staff and sort of who you want to hire. And, and it may be a little bit of a mix, you know, uh, kind of as it is now. But you're definitely going to want to have guys on the road that can recruit uh, if they're able to recruit, if they're able to actually have contact with players on the road. So, you know, that will certainly change things. And, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, again, maybe more of the rich getting richer. And, and you know, Alabama's been doing it for years. Ohio State's been doing it for years. Clemson has been doing it for years. Um, USC is still a bit behind the times when it comes to, you know, flushing out the support staff and getting guys that are that are good recruiters and also experienced coaches that are on the support staff, getting guys um, that uh, have been head coaches and coordinators, you know, other places. And uh, that's just something that USC hasn't really been accustomed to doing. And it costs some money. I think Alabama is really smart about it. They always go after the guys that just been fired that are still in contract somewhere else. And so you're not necessarily having to pay them a lot of money, but those guys want to be a part of the program because they want to see what Nick Saban's doing, right? They, they want to have the, either the opportunity of, of being the analyst, waiting around, maybe like Steve Sarkeesian did, and then boom, getting that spot as a coordinator when the coordinator gets a job somewhere else, right? Because you've been successful. And that's sort of, it's sort of like the NFL with players and having that system of like, okay, next guy up, like we're going to recruit you. You're going to take, you know, that freshman year, you'll get some snaps. And then this guy's going to go to the NFL and then you're the next guy that's going to come up. Well, that the coaching ranks, Alabama's done a really good job of that. Bringing guys in as analysts, putting guys like Jeremy Pruitt and Steve Sarkeesian and Tosh LaPoy in the analysts, and then having those full-time assistants go on, get coordinator jobs somewhere else or get a head coach job uh, as a coordinator. And then those guys move into those roles or they're able to just use that time to learn and then they go off somewhere else and they get a, a job somewhere else. But usually it's moving up through the program. And uh, Alabama has, has done that masterfully. Um, USC is not even, you know, and <laughs> just not really done that uh, at all. And so the, you want to be able to get something going like that. And if analysts become a bigger part of the recruiting process, whether it be from evaluations or just recruiting off campus, man, oh man, you better get the coffers ready. You better, you better, you better try to get as much money as together as possible. Uh, uh, and and the one thing where USC is obviously in a much better place than they were is that at least you've got Lincoln Riley there, and so you've got the potential of people coming in and wanting to be a part of the staff just to kind of see what Lincoln Riley's doing with the potential of being able to move up through the ranks, get a coordinator spot, and then go and be a head coach maybe somewhere else. So that. That is something you're obviously not going to get that with Clay Elton, right? You know, nobody's like, oh, my gosh, Clay Elton, this mastermind, uh, you know, is no, that, that's you weren't being able to recruit coaches with that. And so now you have a little bit of cachet because you've got a head coach that a lot of people respect. And that's why you get Cliff Kingsbury on campus and in offensive meetings and, and you get Gary Patterson there and you get uh, Greg Brown there. and You get some of these guys that do have a bunch of experience that, you know, are, are looking at analyst jobs and they're considering USC. And our last question, Gerard, I'm withering, withering away, so don't, don't do withering 20 minutes. Away? Why I'm withering away? away. I don't know. I just have, I just got really hungry at the end of this, so don't make me regret it with this last one. Can we get some unsubstantiated rumors, please? And if you were a betting man, which we know you were not, GM, not. would you bet that USC will get a big-time impact defensive starter from the May portal window? You can only say yes or no. No hedging allowed. Smiley face. Gracias, muchachos. Andrew, Andrew A. Excuse me. So if I was yes. a betting. I'm huh? going to say yes. 
I'm going to say yes. I would also say yes, just because for the heck of it. For the heck of it, you have Caleb Williams. They're going to be like, hey, we need you as a defensive impact player. You hope as a UC fan that's a defensive lineman, an interior defensive lineman. They can go, hey, we think you're the missing piece. We're trying to make a run in a national championship. Come join us. And I think that's going to be the pitch. And you have to hope there's a big-time impact defensive starter that happens to wander into the portal come May. But I would say yes. I would say yes. Lincoln Lincoln Riley's done a lot of winking and nodding in that regard. Sure, he said they have guys coming in. Or yeah, on the on, on the front, the defensive front specifically. So, you know, emote, wink and a nod, whatever you want to say. Yeah. But as of, you, you're not letting slip any unsubstantiated rumors right now. Oh, like naming names and things? No, no, no. <laughs> we can we can ride on our Marvin Harrison Jr. unsubstantiated rumors. And I think what Walter Nolan is the other one that we have. Uh, uh, but there's nothing to add at this point in time with either of those players. All right. The man who invented unsubstantiated rumor segment himself <laughs> gives an update. Gerard? I invented unsubstantiated rumors. That's not a good thing to be known for. We need a, we need a T-shirt that just says unsubstantiated rumors. Listener. Gerard, that is going to wrap up the show. This has been a Douche Robinson Day. We don't know if it's a happy Douche Robinson Day or not. We do not know. We predicted that USC fans will be happy when it comes to about, but what, the the announcement is at 5.30 p.m. So what, like 5.40 if they're lucky, 5.40 p.m., they'll, they'll know. We'll see. But we hope it is a good Douche Robinson Day, Douche Robinson Day for you as our listeners. Next week, we'll talk about whatever happened at 5.30 with some Under Armour camp. We're going to be going to that over the weekend. Possibly have our first guest, Shotgun Spratling, on. So I think it'll be another jam-packed episode. And based on what we were talking about, Gerard, it might be the start of season two if Holy Hour is our marker for the next season. Yeah. that that I mean, you know, now, is that like a special occasion? Do we need to do something for the first show of the season i mean technically uh when do we have an off season <laughs> for this podcast we we have a whole season and we just go rolling in the next season that's not how it works chris that's not how they do it in tv well sure but like we're on a writer strike we don't have much to work with we just have to go into it you know we don't have time to think about it we just have to do it we just take those days off where we both are sick no days uh, off. And, and we, That's not true. We take weeks off. We do we, take weeks off. Well, yeah, technically we, we take we take weeks off because we only do it once a week. But uh, nevertheless, I think that's the only time we maybe one time we took it off because I think we were like somebody was like you were on the road or, or something. We took it yeah. off. But um, yeah, we, we need a we need an off season for the podcast, too. You know, that's the problem. Now, we've been doing this consistent consistently for so much now. people expect it. Every single week, just like the war room. We used to do the war room like just during the, the season and then during like recruiting when it was was picking up there at the, at the end of the year. And, and then we just didn't have a lot of war rooms like during the spring and summer. Like during the summer, we would never really have a war room. Now it's like, dude, if the war room isn't up at 3 a.m. Pacific time, the East Coasters are like on the board going, uh, excuse me, they have gifts for me. They, and then and not gifts like, you know, G-I-F-T, but Gifts is in GIF 
where it's like, uh, what are you doing? Uh, you're wasting my time. I need to have my coffee <laughs> and I need to have my war, my room. war room. Yeah. And then you put the war room up. It's like, well, this wasn't really a good war room. And it's like, <laughs> so we have uh, created uh, two monsters now, the war room. And it seems this like this podcast is, is becoming a, a bit of a monster. So we, we, yeah, we need to put our foot down. We need to have an off season where we at least like, you know, have uh, like a couple months off or something. Right. Isn't that how it works? Isn't that how it goes? They're going to revolt. They're going to revolt. This is going to be the topic under the podcast. Like there are no off seasons. No off maybe, seasons. Maybe like the if, little X. Maybe if the NCAA passes uh, an analyst rule where analysts can, you know, take, go on the road for full-time position coaches, we can hire some analysts on the site, like some intern analysts and maybe like JP five star only, or just some random people we could get just to do the podcast. And we're just like, Hey, you know, it's going to be a couple of weeks where, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. They may not even talk about recruiting. Just leave it into the hands of these analysts. Yeah. We could talk about maybe doing a couple of weeks off. I know that everyone is screaming at us through in their car listening to their phone whatever we'll we'll figure it out but the season two start is is coming it seems like so it's coming it's coming and we'll uh we'll try to figure out what that looks like moving forward but this has been another edition of composite two-star recruits i am chris that is gerard happy douche robinson day and we will catch you next time Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 